Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff, and it's a special Friday today for several reasons, but one of which, of course, is that uh, unlike most Fridays, Aaron Cummings and Joey Bishop are here. Hey, you doing? Oh my goodness, we're switching things up. Uh, Tom and I are actually, we were um, hired to be actors in the Sundance Lab to work with their directors for the next six weeks, which will happen on Thursdays. So you guys can check Joey Bishop and I out for the next uh, six weeks, seven, including today, um, on Fridays. But I want to say, first of all, John, thank you so much for posting my sizzle reel on your channel. It was channel. great. It was great. You know, like for you guys out there, for those of you who watched it, um, I did read all of your comments. The effusiveness and of, of love was so palpable. I really appreciate it. I I sincerely do love, love, love you guys. And I, I, and I thank you for all of your kind words. If you missed it and you can't find it on John's channel because he has so many things for you to watch, I just posted it to my Instagram at Aaron L. Cummings so you can check it out there. And also a little update. Oh, by the way, special shout out to the editor of that sizzle reel. His name is Mark Damore and he is at LA Media Works. If you go to lamediaworks.com, you can see his other – I mean, he has literally worked with the best in the business. Um, you can just scroll and see Carla Gugino. I mean, the list goes on and on. He is a master. So if you're looking for a good editor, definitely give him a call. And look, I finished Baby Yoda. You got Yoda. your Baby Yoda thing done. I finished my Baby Yoda crusted. It looks so good. Thank you. Um, we had a fun time last night. Well, yeah. So one of the reasons why Aaron's here today instead of starting on Fridays next week is that uh, I told you guys, uh, Ann and I booked a, a theater tonight. We like we privately booked a theater tonight so we can watch my favorite Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, now that the local theaters are open. So uh, and so Aaron and Tom were, were going to come join us. So we thought, I hey, want you guys just come last night. We played some Mario Party. Uh, yes. We, we had some good pizza, good <laughs> cookies. Watch oh, my Mario gosh. Party. Um, and now we're doing the show and then we're going to go watch Indiana Jones later. Uh, well, by the way, I just have to say this. Okay. To the folks who felt the need to comment about the size of John's television. First of all, it's what? That's a 75 inch TV. It's if a it, 75 inch it's TV. It's a 75 yes. inch TV. But it TV. looks tiny on that wall. It looks tiny on the wall. But here's the thing though. Everybody's like, John, let me educate you on TVs. Let me tell you about sound bars. I'm like, okay, if you if you are a grown ass human and you are worried about another grown ass human's television, a TV you'll never watch in a home that you don't own with people that you're not hanging out with, you need to stay in your own lane. Because let me tell you something about my friend John Campia. This man <laughs> is the American dream. He is an immigrant who came to a foreign country. I never thought of myself. I guess I am an You are the epitome <laughs> of the American dream. I mean, granted, you're a cisgender white male, so you have privilege beyond belief, but you're still, <laughs> all of a sudden the chat room goes crazy, but you are still, you are the American dream. You are an immigrant. You came to this country with no friends or family to anchor you. Mm. You left the security of your previous uh, professional life to start something that really did not have. I mean, like, yes, now everybody has a YouTube channel, but when you started doing what you were doing, 
not a lot of people were doing that and not a lot of people were able to make that into a, a lifestyle that they could afford to live on. You then married a unicorn, a gorgeous <laughs> woman who likes cosplay and mixed martial arts. Like, I don't even understand how she even exists and how the two of you found each other, but she is the definition of a unicorn. You bought a gorgeous three-bedroom home with a pool and a hot tub overlooking a golf course, and you now have your own, like, redone studio in your home so you can have No Pants Fridays with me. <laughs> And you only and you get to be your own boss and work with your friends. So listen, guys, if you're worried about his TV, you don't need to be. You need to worry about your own business because John Campia, he's fine. Okay. And BTW also, John doesn't have to worry about buying the right television because this motherfucker gets sent shit. Okay. I have no doubt that Sony or one of the other many, many companies. Oh, that they don't. But if they would like to, I am totally open to that. I am just so if that's you're watching the thing. Sony. Yes. Yeah, I'm so totally open to that. I am not. The one thing that I'm not worried about when it comes to John Campia is his tech setup. But he just bought his home and he just moved into it and he just retrofitted his entire studio so can we just give it a beat the man is doing things so come after my friends and i will come after well, you well now come on to be fair nobody was like coming after me just so you know what what it is aaron's time about. i put up this tweet i have scorpio on my chart <laughs> i will i will come after people for going after my friends I, so here's the picture that 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 aaron's talking about so we put up this picture this is us last night playing Mar mario party and again, if you saw my home walkthrough when I did my home walkthrough video, you'll see that on that wall, you have to understand, it's all about perspective. That wall is really, really big. And when you look at that TV on that wall, if you look at it at first glance, you think, oh, that's that's an adorable 45-inch TV. Right. It's a 75-inch TV that just gets dwarfed on this wall. So yeah, it, it does look a little small, so I get that. But at any rate, listen, guys, we have a lot of stuff to cover here today because while there's not any main topics here today uh we of course because i had computer issues we didn't have a show on monday or tuesday so we need to get caught up on all the awesome topics points of view observations opinions and questions that you guys have been sending in over the past couple of days so we're going to spend today's show letting you guys kind of be the program managers of today's show and it's all going to be about your submissions once again guys if you want to send in a topic or question to be read in the live questions part of the show, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video, or you can use center it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. All right, today, playing the role of Kimberly Curran, is Aaron and Aaron what is our first question today our first question on this Friday morning is from the real Goku who asks do you think Netflix is going to go the Hulu live TV route with same zip code login okay so obviously this is a reference to the story we talked about the other day Netflix which has never really cared about people sharing the passwords to their Netflix accounts they are now cracking down on that and they're implementing some new tools and I don't think this will be the end of it they'll probably implement more 
procedures and probably like cross-checking, you know, what's the zip code of the URL that you're using to connect to this thing. So yes, I do think at some point they'll start experimenting with that as well. All right, what's next? The next question is from the Wakandan Forever, who says, feed me Seymour, feed me all <laughs> night long. Feed me Seymour, feed me all night long. Because if you feed me Seymour, I will go up big and strong. That's from Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, in case is. we were wondering why I was putting on that crazy voice, it is the voice of Audrey too. Now he asks, what is your favorite musical? Sorry to run, I gotta go ease on down the road. Um, well, I mean, it depends on if you consider it a proper musical, which I know many people do not. But for our question, I will say it is. Moulin Rouge is Ooh, my favorite yeah. on-screen musical. That, that to me... The, the just the kinetic energy of that the use of color and the costume and I had no idea you McGregor could sing like that oh and yeah no that was a big surprise then Nicole Kidman could sing like that and if you're not at least a little weepy at oh. the end with Satine it's it's amazing what would you say is your favorite movie because I would say Les Mis if we were talking about the stage but what would you say is your favorite movie musical Oh my God. You know what? I, I'm not, I don't necessarily know if this is my favorite, but the one that popped in my head is Bye Bye Birdie with Anne Margaret. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just because it's so fun. Like the songs, you really can't help but sing along to them because they're quite repetitive. And so it's really easy to start singing, you know, singing along with them. The characters are so extra, which I feel like I'm being a little this morning because I've had three <laughs> cups of coffee. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's just fun. Good old fashioned fun um, with some classic, brilliant actors. And if you haven't seen Anne Margaret and Bye Bye Birdie, it's just a really fun music movie musical that I highly recommend. All right, what's next? Next is Doctor Doctor Kananga. I'm curious to know what is the biggest fake out, Evan Peter? What is the biggest fake out, Evan Peters not being Pietro or Sir Ben Kingsley not being the Mandarin? And could you explain what does it mean when people say being on the filthy? Probably meant bring on bring the filthy. Bring on the filthy. Okay, so uh, well, first of all, Michael Hamilton and uh, Aiden Foley send in super chat badges in live chat. Thank, Thank you for that, you. guys. Um, okay, first, uh, bring on the filthy. Uh, I would, here's a very, very short version of it. We were talking about an upcoming movie. Uh, I think it was a 50 shades uh, movie and whether it was going to be NC 17 or R we talked about how much filthy is going to be in the movie. And I said, don't get me wrong. I love the filthy bring on the filthy. This was many years ago and it's stuck ever since, ever since I said it that one time people started putting it onto their messages and not that kind of stuff. The bigger fake out between Evan Peters as a Fietro and uh, Ben Kingsley as Mandarin was easily Ben Kingsley. Because unlike the Evan Peters situation, they actually marketed that whole movie. Ben Kingsley, Sir Ben Kingsley, Academy Award winning Sir Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin. They actually marketed it and promoted it for months, building up to it. And then we found out it wasn't really him. Um, whereas with the Evan Peters thing, I mean, we all should have known, like I said, that he wasn't actually Quicksilver because Kevin Feige had already told us publicly, I'm not bringing in the X-Men yet. So we should have known. So to me, the biggest fake out was Ben Kingsley as Mandarin. All right. Oh, by the way, before we go on to the next question, I forgot to mention Falcon Winter Soldier, ladies and gentlemen. Falcon Winter Soldier today, 3 p.m. Pacific time. That's 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will be doing our open spoiler discussion today. Once again, that's 3 p.m. Pacific time of the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Make sure you guys come and join us for that. And our, our friend, the Canadian Singing Posty, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Posty. Appreciate that. May you have a good route today. All right. 
What is next? Next? Oh, gosh. I have a feeling we're going to be on a singing tip this morning. The Wakandan Forever says, give it away, give it away, give it away now. What I got, you got to give it to your mama. Do a dance, you got to drink a little water. Okay, Wakanda is on a music kick. That is actually what he wrote in. He, I'm not making this up. He's making me sing these words. Uh, the Chili Peppers. Flea slaps the bass so hard I almost called the cops. <laughs> Who is your favorite bassist and guitarist? Um... Favorite guitarist, there's a long list I could go through and you probably wouldn't recognize most of their names because most of them are just like session musicians. My favorite bass player is actually a bass player by the name of Tony Levin. Now, Tony Levin has done a a lot of stuff, but I first discovered him because he was the regular bassist for Peter Gabriel. And the dude is innovative and he's creative. You can't miss him. He's a big, tall dude. Big, he, you know, you remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark? When Indy is about to get on that plane, he starts fighting that one German who's like this big guy, mustache, bald head. That That's Tony Levin. I mean, it's not literally Tony Levin, but that's what Tony Levin looks like. And he's this incredible bass player. That is my favorite bass player. All right. Well, my favorite bass player is Tom Degnan. Does Degnan play bass? Yes, he started his own band, Reserve for Rondi. Next time you're with around Alexa, ask her, Alexa, play music by Reserve for Rondi. He's written several songs. He's a fantastic really? player. Yeah. We should bring it over. I'll break out my guitar and we'll, uh, uh, we'll I, start our own little band. I would love that. But if it wasn't, if it weren't Tom Degnan, I would say my favorite bassist is uh, Bootsy Collins. Who I dis- who I discovered when I was young, uh, listening to Lady Miss Cure, also known as D- and the band Delight, because he did a. But he a- did. He went on and did so much other stuff. Oh too, my god, but no! But yeah. that's what I'm just no. Yeah, I that's, I that's, where, that's where I discovered it because yeah. I loved Groove Is in the Heart, and then I was like, who's that bass player with the cool out? You know, and then I fell in love with him then. All right. right. Next, Next, Wakanda Forever came in again. Um, Hammer, hammer, hammer man. I don't know how that's supposed to be said. What is your favorite music cartoon or TV show? Too legit. Too legit to quit. You can't touch this. Okay, look into my eyes, man. You can't touch this. I'm not singing that. I told you, homeboy. Break it down. Go, Hammer. Go, Hammer. Go. You can't touch this. Okay, this is... I'm not going to sing these anymore. I I don't know what I would say. I... I mean, now you're, you're, if you're getting to the realm of all things uh, like e Disney as well, I mean, like none of the Disney movies are like really pure musicals per se, not not the classic ones, but I mean, they all are to a degree, whether you're talking about um, Beauty and the Beast, which was the first animated film in history to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards or things like that. But in that case, I'll go with my all-time favorite animated film, which is The Lion King. So I, I will go with that. I can't think of any other ones that are like pure musicals off the top of my head. I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it for a while, I could come up with one or two. But I will go for for now, I will go with The Lion King. So yeah, that's, that's a good one. Is that one yours? Um I I uh pro I mean it's it's off the top of my head, but then of course, um, you know, I think that because Let It Go became such an anthem for any anyone who had a child under the age of five i feel like that one would i don't know if it's that if it's necessarily the favorite but uh frozen i think would probably be a favorite for a lot of people as well yeah that's true okay what's next uh wakandan forever is just wanting me to sing all morning but i'm not going to do it uh saying people try to put us down all because we get around ain't trying to cause a big sensation talking about my generation Keith Moon, The Who, the greatest drummer ever. It's the first biography that he ever read. John, who is your famous who is your favorite drummer? Oh, that's and Wakanda easy. has left the building. That that's that's easy. The, the greatest drummer of all time. Neil played the drum solo of life. It's Neil Pert. 
uh, the good Canadian kid, of course, of, of Rush, who just passed away not too long ago. Um, I remember in I remember it was so cool to watch walking uh, watching the movie version of Aqua Teen Hunger Force and the alien comes out like Neil Peart is in Aqua Teen Hunger Force in animated form, but he has the power of life and death through his drum solos. So he could kill people with his drum solos, but then the, somebody died and the alien comes out, Neil, play the drum solo of life. And Neil plays a drum solo and brings the dead back to life. No, e that's that's easy. Greatest of all time, good Canadian kid, Neil Peart. That's the greatest of all time. Mine would be Trey Cool from Green Day because huh. back in one of, my, one of my many I don't want to wait tables jobs was I was a massage therapist at the Chateau Marmont and I met and and he became one of my clients and uh he and I was I was working on him while Green Day was in Los Angeles recording the American Idiot album so mm. he would play some of the songs from their days recording while you know while we were doing the massage and you know, it wasn't that kind of massage. Don't go there, guys. All right, Brandon next? is next. He says, hi, John. I don't know if you've been keeping up with this story, but Chloe Zhao and her film Nomadland have been censored by the Chinese government for comments Zhao made about their government. Will this be a problem for Eternals come November? I mean, could it cause problems for the film when it comes to the Chinese release? Yeah, it could. Is Disney worried about it? No, because they knew about they knew this could be an issue when they brought on Chloe Zhao to make the movie. They didn't care. Well, I'm not going to say they didn't care. And by the way, uh, Dragon 10 says in a super chat badge. Thank you, Dragon 10. It's not that they didn't care. Of course they cared, but they said, you know what? She's too good of a filmmaker. She's got too good of a view on this movie. This is the more important thing. And they went with her knowing full well. I, I talked to somebody over at Disney who was like, oh yeah, they were aware that there could potentially be issues if they went with Chloe Zhao, but they decided to go with Chloe Zhao anyway. And uh, now it looks like she's about to win an Asterix uh, Academy Award for Best Picture and Best Director. She's sweeping up at all the other critic awards. She's probably going to be a name that we are going to be talking about for years to come. I cannot wait to see what she's done with the Eternals, and I'm glad that Disney decided to go that route anyway. All right, what's next? Well, speaking of Asterix, Asterix, Willow said, will you still be celebrating the Oscars this year? I don't have much interest in the awards, and I think it's a bit unfair to the winners since their award probably won't hold as much weight due to the smaller pool of contenders. Um, the, the, uh, this is a weird one for me, and I know everybody has different opinions. I know Aaron and I have a difference of, of Very opinion much so. on this. But you guys got to understand, to me, I, I've said this before, I will say it again. It, the Oscars are my second favorite day of the year. The only day of the year that I hold more precious to me is Christmas. Uh, second is the Oscars. Third is my birthday. Quite often, the Oscars fall on my birthday, as a matter of fact. But anyway, Oscars second. But no, I will not be watching the Oscars this year. I'm not paying any attention to the Oscars this year. Now, the day after they announce, quote-unquote, Asterix winners, uh, I will probably mention those who won. There are some excellent, excellent films this year, absolutely. I still believe it is the wrong course to continue to have an awards this year. I think they should push it off to next year and have a much grander uh, return to glory. And uh, so, no, I will not be watching the Oscars, nor will I be covering the Oscars this year, because that's just me. Anyway, I know you have a very, very different take on that whole scenario, though. In the grand scheme of things, there were uh, some wonderful films. Absolutely. absolutely. Some incredible films, and I... Do you, and, and, and also, I mean, if you look at the fact that um, Defy Bloods was not nominated and uh, um, Delroy uh, Lindo. Lindo was, was so good, was that. so good and absolutely deserved a, a, 
uh, a, a nomination and did not. It just goes to show that there actually was really stiff competition this year, despite of a smaller pool of big studio tentpole movies. I don't think that that necessarily um, diminishes the amount of incredibly uh, worthy films and performances and editing, et cetera, that were out there. So I completely disagree. I think in the long run, an Oscar is an Oscar is an Oscar. And if you have it, there is no asterisk needed. So that's my thoughts. Moving on to Muka Muyamba. I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. Hi, John and Rob and Aaron. I said the other day on Twitter that if they want to shoot Superman and Lois into the stratosphere in season two, cast a Bruce Wayne. I feel like Clark and Bruce's relationship is one of the best in the comics. Would love a bat in this universe. Uh, I I don't. I'll, I'll tell you straight up. I do not want a Batman in this universe. I don't want them because, listen, I'm really getting on board with this Superman Lois show surprisingly so I like I I had no interest in this show I am really really enjoying it but I don't need them to make the Batman character smaller by putting him on the small screen too not to mention it totally deviate deviates away from what is making this show special what is making this show special is that it's not just another Superman show it's a, a show about a Superman who has two teenage kids and he has no idea what the F he's doing and he is struggling with understanding his role in the world as the ultimate hero in the world, as a husband to a wife who needs him, and as to two teenage sons who he is completely struggling with how, how to understand and do that. And the torn thing he has as an individual on how does he accomplish this? How does he deal with the bad guys, deal with his marriage, deal with being a father? These are the things that makes this show special. And I think going more stereotypical, and I love my stereotypical comic book stuff, don't get me wrong, but going more stereotypical comic thing, now bring in Batman, and now bring in Flash, and it, it, it takes away, I think, from what is making this show special. So I, not like if they did it and did it well, great, but if you're going to ask me in advance, would do I think that's a good move for this show? I think it's... I think it's the opposite of a good move for this show. So that's just kind of my take on it. All right. What's next? TLCAZ said, I booked an AMC private theater for my mom's 80th birthday. Nice. What a good son or daughter you are. It was the best party I have ever thrown. My family was overjoyed to be out together in a safe way. We also watched Indiana Jones Last Crusade. <laughs> I was smiling throughout the movie. I, I have not been to a movie theater since... I can't remember I, what it was. Six months ago that Tenet came out, maybe since longer? you and Rob took a road trip to like three states away. Well, no, no, so that was so New much. Mutants. That was New Mutants oh, right. when I drove to Vegas. Yeah, and then a little while after that, I drove to Anaheim to see Tenet because they had opened the theaters in Anaheim for a brief period, and that was the last time I, I've been in a movie theater. I, I, I like the, the movie theater. If Richard Attenborough was in the room, he'd be looking at me from behind a bush and whispering to his mic. We are seeing John Campion, his natural habitat. If I was in a movie theater, that's my natural habitat. And I'm so excited to go back to the movie theater tonight, watching Indiana Jones, have some good friends with us. It's going to be fun. Can you, that bad can you guys popcorn. see it? Because I can see it. John Campia as a grandfather. Back in my day, we had to drive all the way to Las Vegas to watch a movie. Back during the <laughs> pandemic of 2020. The great toilet paper famine of 2020. Oh, my God. All right. The Dark Knight Rises says, hi, John. Watching Man of Steel again last watched Man of Steel again last night. I must say watching Amy Adams is like kryptonite to my heart. 
I melt. WB needs to ditch the Superman thing. She is the superheroine. They could make a movie just about her, Lois, and I'd put $20 down. You know, it's here's the interesting thing about the Lois Lane character. I'm normally the whole, no, you don't make movies about the B characters as the sidekick characters, the offshoot characters. And let's face it, the only reason any of us know the name Lois Lane is because of the name Superman. That said, a good movie about a Pulitzer winning journalist of a, of a dying medium mm -hmm. uh, in the newspaper business, so that kind of a movie, like one of the best in the world investigative, you can make, there are so many great movies about whether it's, um, what was the one about Watergate? What was the name of uh, Kings? Not the King's men. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it was Dustin Hoffman. Mm -hmm. uh, what was Robert that? Redford? Yes. Um, about the Watergate scandal. Why am I freezing on the well, name the of this? Movie? Well, the 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 chat's gonna know. Let's check. Yes, the chat. everybody in the chat say what is the name? I, I can't believe I'm freezing it. It's not the King's Speech. <laughs> that no no no. That, <laughs> I love King's Speech. That's a different. But that's thing. very very different. And nobody can seem to remember the name of the movie. Anyway, um, I love like those those types of movies. You could do a movie about Lois Lane before ever meeting the Superman. And that could actually be pretty cool. Oh, you know absolutely. I, I can't remember which. Um, it's not Frost Nixon either. Um, no. That's with Michael Sheen. It wasn't nearly as long ago. Uh, is it? It might, it might be All the President's Men. All the President's Yeah, that is Thank exactly Emily it. Yep. S. got it. Emily Thank S. Thank you, got Emily. It. And then Wilfred and Anton and a few others got it as well. So, uh, damn it. What was I just saying? Anyway, a good investigative movie like that about these guys. Oh, oh, that was what I was about to say. Um, there's a TV. They made a TV show called Pennyworth. Oh, that is about Alfred. Yeah. Batman's butler mm -hmm. before Bruce Wayne was ever born. Oh, cool. And I'm like, this is a stupid idea. And then I started watching like, this is pretty good. You could do a Lois Lane before meeting Superman thing and that could work. I think Absolutely. That could well, I mean, these characters are all, you know, the, the whole thing about telling a story, I mean, every every single person, John, myself, everyone watching right now. We all have an incredible story to tell. It's just about the way it's told. Like I was, um, there's a an, an amazing quote um, uh, that's like every person has the next great novel. It's just a matter of actually sitting down and writing it. Yeah. And so any any single character in any of these, you know, if you write it well enough and you really go in and you tell their story, it could be a compelling story. It's just a matter of how it's delivered. And I nominate Dana Calvo to showrun that that she would be she's a great showrunner and I think she'd be perfect for that show. All right, what's next? All right, Goobers and Dummies said, you're too positive. You need to be more negative to get more clicks, bro. <laughs> Complain about Brie Larson and Star Wars, wokeness. Hell, create something to get fans angry about. Hate equals clicks. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. Love your positive, upbeat, fun show, man. Thanks, Goobers and Dummies. We like to be positive, too. Um, yeah. Okay. Down with the haters. And, and I, I know what you're, what you're referring to. Look, I... There are, look, the easiest thing in the world to do to get a lot of clicks is to appeal to things that get people angry. And sometimes that means appealing to the lowest common denominator. Make your thumbnail with the person you're, you're hating this week and put big red eyes, glowing red eyes, the big googly eyes. It's like, that's all the rage of making their thumbnails these days. Look, I always say whenever I do seminars and panels and things like that, um, I always tell people when they're asking about how to do YouTube channels, whatever, the always the thing I always the one piece of advice I always give is this. 
whatever you're making your YouTube channel about or your blog about or your podcast about or whatever, um, do make sure you run it in such a way where there are going to be things that grind your gears to quote Peter Griffin. There are going to be things you don't like, and that's fine. You should talk about these things, but always make sure that your blog, podcast, or YouTube channel, when somebody comes along and looks at it, they can identify you by what it is you love. Don't be one of these channels where people look at your channel and goes, oh, we can identify this channel or this podcast by what it is you hate. As soon as your podcast, whatever, becomes the thing where you're first identified by what it is you hate, then I think you're kind of on the wrong cast. You can get easy clicks that way. Appeal to the lowest common denominator. Um, you can do that. But I try not, that doesn't mean don't, like, for instance, I was talking about the AMC CEO giving himself a $9 million bonus in, you know, when they've got 30,000 employees furloughed and it's been the most disastrous apocalyptic year ever for the th history of uh, the movie theater going existence. And I talked about that and I was angry about that. But if you go to the front of my YouTube channel and you add up all 30 or 40 thumbnails you see, I hope you'll always see at least a at least a 10 to 1 ratio of things I'm super happy about and positive about to every one thing that I'm kind of pissed off about and ranting about. If you're ever not that, do something else. But I, it's not what I am. It's not what I ever want to be. There will always be things that grind my gears. For sure there will be. But I just don't want to be. And yeah, I know I could get a lot of clicks if I wanted to do that. But it's not what I want to be. It's not what I want to do. And so we move on. All well, right. as Enrique Caceres, who's in the chat right now, said that he was in a blah mood and now he's in a pretty good mood. And I think that's a pretty great thing. If <laughs> that's we can, the idea. You know, if we can, if we're, if we're going to take your, your blah day and put a, turn that frown upside down, I feel pretty good about that. All right. Dark Knight Rises comes in again with another question and says, what if you had a movie with Jessica Chastain Amy Adams and Bryce Dallas Howard in a film playing redheaded sisters. <laughs> Do people ever confuse any of them? Um, I've never had any confusion between, you know, uh, Amy Adams and Jessica Chastain, but I could see you maybe if Jessica Chastain and Amy Adams, if, if, sorry, uh, Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard, if Bryce Dallas Howard had the same kind of hair that she had in the help, and she did a redhead thing and and then kind of came in and out. I could see some people confusing them. Which may be the reason why they had Jessica Chastain be a blonde in The Help. Oh, maybe. Yeah, could be. I mean, because she, she doesn't. By the way, can I just say, I know the movie The Help has come under some fire. I don't, I don't care. The Help is freaking brilliant. It is one of the movies. I remember I walked out of Disney's. I saw it on Disney's lot the first time I watched it. And I walked out and I wasn't allowed to say that I had seen it yet, but I got on Facebook and I just wrote, look, no details, but I just watched a movie that reminds me about why I love the movies and you should watch it. Um, Octavia is amazing in it. Mm -hmm. Jessica is amazing in it. Emma's amazing in it. It's an incredible cast powerhouse story made my heart smile. Uh, I, I really like that one. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. Well, okay. Anyway, what's next? What is next is the Kryptonian said, Superman and Lois is hitting a very special spot for me right now. When Smallville came on, I was just now entering high school and felt like the outsider and felt like the outsider trials Clark went through were close to the same outsider trials I was going through without the powers. Today, as a parent, Superman and Lois is showing me how hard it is to be a parent when you have other priorities beyond life at home. 
Clark does his best to be the father his kids deserve, but knows that in a perfect world, he can't always be there. Now, I don't think you and Tom have started watching Superman and We Lois. have not. It, it, and, and I had no desire to watch it. But I, I do not. It is... The best way I know how to describe Superman is that it's a CW Superman show that yeah. feels way more like an HBO Superman show. It it because they really? deal more with like the human just the very idea that they the whole premise starts with Superman and Lois have been married for a while and they have two teenage sons and the teenage sons do not know their father is Superman and just that premise and it it deals with the struggles of the Superman yeah in that sort of an environment and it is it's really special and I hate the way they treated this Superman. In the rest of the CW with we Supergirl, know. it's Jobber Superman. I but I am telling you, they have won me over. And I, I think I think you should give the first two episodes a shot. Okay. I Do I need to have seen all of Smallville? None. And is it None. Tom it's Welling? It's not connected to Smallville. It's not connected to any of that. This is Tyler Holkin. I always mispronounce his name. A Tyler Holkin's uh, Superman version that was in uh, Supergirl on CW. This is not connected to Smallville at all. So Tom Welling is not playing. Tom Welling is not in this. Okay. Your your fellow uh, co-star of Lucifer is not in this. Uh, so was Tom Welling on? Yeah. Oh, an entire, he was in an entire season. He played uh, Cain of Cain and Abel. It's like, you didn't even know that? You're in Lucifer and you didn't even know that. Oh, come on. Come on, Aaron. All I right. Know. I know. Let's, I know. What's next? After I did Mad Men, I was like, I don't need to watch this anymore. I like, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, wow. One of four. Okay. Strap in, guys. Jared's Reviews says, hey, John and crew. Hey, Jared's Reviews. Hope you all are having a great day. So my question is, do TV networks like the CW, FX, etc. look at viewership numbers of their shows on a streaming network like Netflix? I'm someone who mainly watches shows on a streaming network, but there are some shows I watch on cable but not live. I check them out the next day on Hulu or wait until they come on Netflix. While I know networks mainly care about their live viewership, but... I if wait, while I know that networks mainly care about their live viewership, but if a show has okay numbers live but has good viewership on Netflix as well, will that swing them to renew the show for another season? I was just curious if someone like um if someone like me hurts a show to get another season because I didn't watch it live. Thanks and bring on the filthy with a kiss kiss bang bang. Yeah, oh, but also, I wanted to add a message to give you a reason to plug Patreon since I just reached my third year of being a Patreon member. Oh, thanks, Love man. the content and listing and listing you to motivate listening you to listening to you to motivate me every day to keep living when things keep getting low but I keep fighting. Oh. Uh, Dude, thank you so much for thank that. Thank you, Jared. That is awesome, man. And thank you for being a Patreon supporter for so long. And yeah, plug the Patreon campaign. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, look, there, it used to be really simple for the television executives. It used to be real simple. You broadcast your things out on the airwaves. They got the Nielsen ratings. <laughs> you knew how many people were watching the show. You could charge your advertisers accordingly, depending on your viewership numbers. Easy. It's different today. It started changing with DVRs coming in. It's like, what if somebody didn't watch it live? They just recorded on DVR, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now you got it with streaming service. Now you got a show that's on, like you have, I don't know, Lois and Clark on one thing, but then it's also on YouTube TV. You can go back and watch on that. How does that all come into play? All right. So, Yes, the networks that produce these shows, the networks that produce these shows completely know all the analytics. 
Netflix will give them all the analytics of how many people are watching, all that kind of stuff. It's something they need to know for two reasons. Number one, they have to have a basic idea of how many people are watching the show and where. And number two, that information is what guides their strategy when setting what types of licensing fees do we set when we let shows or networks like Netflix carry it. Because if they didn't know what their numbers are, they'd have no idea what to demand in, in terms of li uh, uh, licensing fees for them being able to put that on. So they need to have that total picture. So no, you are not hurting a show by watching it either live broadcast on CBS, uh, later on Paramount Plus, or at some one of their older licensing things. No, it's all data. It's all analytics. They get it, it is more complicated than it used to be, but it is information they all have and they act accordingly. As somebody who's been in a lot of these types of shows, is there is there anything that I'm missing about that, about how they calculate all that? Every single time that I've ever been on a TV show, my friends always go, well, we want to get the ratings up. So, you know, and they, they'll say, we're going to turn on all the TVs in our house. And I tell them straight up, I have no idea how it works. I, I do not have a Nielsen box. I don't know anyone who's ever had a Nielsen box. I don't know anyone who's ever known anyone who's ever had a Nielsen. I don't know how it all works. Um, I, I, I just say, you know what? If you enjoy watching it, watch it. Watch it however you can. And you know what? I think a lot of these networks now, because of the prevalence of social media, they are paying attention to what's going on in chat rooms, what's, you know, what's getting clicks, what's getting likes, what's having people, you know, engaged in talking about it. So if nothing else, even if you are not able to watch it in real time live on the network where it's originally airing, if you're going to their social media pages, if you're liking their content, if you're commenting about the shows and the episodes, that's also something that they are paying attention to. So, right. and also I will say that like in the same way that, you know, Lucifer speaking of, and many other shows, um, you know, when they are going, when they do get to these streaming platforms, all it does is help the original show. Like I know that when, you know, Spartacus originally when it came out, you know, the first season, not a lot of people had stars. So not a lot of people saw it. And it wasn't until the second season when the first season was available on Netflix, right. all of a sudden the world discovered it and everybody was watching it. You know, Tom did a show called Loose, um, called Limitless and the show was canceled after the first season, even though it had really good ratings. And then it went on to Netflix. It exploded on Netflix. People lost their minds. And apparently some of the executives at CBS who made the decision to cancel it later went to the showrunners and were like, we made a huge mistake. We see how popular this show is on Netflix. We should have kept it. But th at that point, all the actors were out of their contracts and on to other things. So, you know, I think that those things do make a difference. All right. What's next? All right. Preston the Kryptonian said, hey, John, so I just rewatched Man of Steel for the sixth or seventh time, and there was something I've been noticing on the last few watches. When Zod throws Superman into the construction site and into the sign that says no injuries for a thousand and some odd days, the numbers fall off the sign and it goes to zero. <laughs> Symbolic of how Superman got injured for that moment. Just a little Easter egg I thought was cool and I didn't know if you would have noticed. Oh, I think I noticed that the first the first time. So I, I wasn't number of days since an injury or number of days since, the, uh, since an accident or an incident. I can't remember the exact wording of it. But yeah, that, that was a nice little visual gag they put in there. Uh, and again, I have seen Man of Steel now probably 20 to 25 times. Like every few months, I will just pop it on. 
I'll, for no reason. I'll just pop it on and watch it. And it gets, it is one of these movies that to me that gets better and better with every single viewing. And uh, give Man of Steel another shot, everybody. It is a masterpiece of the genre. All right. What's next? Well, we're just going to keep going with Man of Steel because Preston the Kryptonian says another question. Also, after watching Man of Steel again, it made me think. I'm sure your opinion on this differs from mine, but it made me question whether Clark Kent was made out to be a person that truly wasn't a killer when he had no problem flying through buildings and potentially killing hundreds of people only to wail after killing one person who he was already in hot conflict with. I know in previous comics, shows, and movies, Superman was not supposed to kill people, but I didn't get that with Man of Steel. Yeah, no, again, there. this is a constant debate that's been going on about should should Superman in any iteration ever kill? And of course, the true answer to that is he has in the comics. So there you go. But no, look, a lot of people will be like, you got to understand when he was fighting Zod, a lot of that was completely outside of his control. Everybody forgets Superman had been, su Clark had been Superman for a day. He had basically been Superman for a day. He had only found out what he actually was and that the limits of what he could do were actually much broader than he ever knew were good. He never even flew before. He had just had first flight. And now he was fighting a fellow Kryptonian who was genetically bred to be a soldier. And Clark was a farmer. And like everybody forgets all that. So yeah, when he had to make the conscious decision to kill Zod, Zack Snyder put Superman in a situation where he only had two choices. Superman was in a situation that had two choices and there was no third option. Zod was a planet-killing monster. He had already told Clark, the only reason I exist now is to kill every single human being on Earth. And he, quite frankly probably would have ended up beating Superman, who had only been Superman for a day. Superman got in an advantageous position. Zod was about to kill a family in front of him, and once he got out, he was just going to go kill more. Superman had a choice. Let this guy kill everybody in the world while I keep fighting him vain in vain, or I got to snap his neck. He chose to snap his neck. It was the only two options. Everybody likes to pretend, well, uh, he could have taken Zod into outer space. <laughs> He tried to take Zod. I mean, Zod's going to, that fight was going to happen wherever Zod wanted to fight. All right. Some 16 year old, 120 pound kid may want to try to fight me, but guess what? That fight's going to happen wherever I decide the fight's going to happen because I got about 130 pounds on the kid. That fight's going to happen wherever I want to happen. If I have a fight with Dwayne, the rock Johnson, guess what? That fight's going to happen wherever Dwayne, the rock Johnson wants that fight to happen. They kind of put him in jail. What jail on earth was going to be able to hold the Kryptonian Zod? There was none. He had two options. Those are the only options the, the director gave him. And he made the choice that made logical sense. So anyway, uh, there's that. Okay. Anyway, what's next? <laughs> all right matthew grant has some wandavision spoilers for us so if you are the only person on the planet who has not yet seen wandavision i would strongly suggest muting your computer right now and matthew grant says i wanted to explain how important the appearance of wanda's kids are billy wiccan is probably the most important comic book lgbtq character in history on episode three history was made when the twins were born i was so happy being a gay person myself 
For the first time, I felt represented in a big way because Billy is no silly side character. He is very powerful, just like his mother. In some of the writings, he becomes the next Sorcerer Supreme. Billy's future husband, Hulkling, is a Kree-Skull hybrid and eventually becomes ruler of the, of the Skrulls, bringing the Skrulls and Kree together. Their wedding is one of the most remembered weddings in comic book history. I was hoping your theory of the kids not being real was not true, because to me, it would have just been an easy way to not grow them up so Disney doesn't have to deal with the issue. But hearing the kids cry for help at the end gave me hope. I mean, yeah, look, when when the the kids were born on the show, the first, we all knew they weren't real. I mean, because I mean, she didn't just get pregnant overnight and then give birth the next day. That wasn't a real pregnancy. They weren't real. We we knew that. That does not undermine though the the significance of what those characters represent in the comics and all that kind of stuff later on. But it's not a matter of Disney just, just oh, just wrote them out so they didn't have to deal. Remember, Disney's are the ones who brought them in in the first place. Brought them in the first place. Disney has been laying the groundwork for a number of years of expanding what a, a diverse, rich MCU looks like. And they've been heading more in that direction and doing more things to be more inclusive and include stuff like that. Now, obviously... What we gleaned from the end of WandaVision is she is now obsessed with recreating those kids. She is now obsessed with bringing those kids back and making them real boys to, you know, quote Pinocchio. I'm a real boy. To bring them back and make them real and all that kind of stuff. And that's what she's using the death hold, the, the, the death hold for sure. She's trying to, the dark hold, I should say. She's trying to figure out how to bring those kids back as she remembered their cries for help when they were out in the street with Agatha. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I mean, we knew they weren't real. We know, though, that they're going to become prime motivations for Wanda moving forward. They made that very clear in that post credit scene of the final episode. They're going to become prime motivations. And I have no doubt we're going to see them pop up again. Now, um, are we ever going to see, like, the comic book version of Wiccan? I don't know. I think if they bring them back, they'll just bring them back. And if they're real, then they're going to age normally, so they'll just be her kids. But it, who knows? This is the MCU. Anything can happen, and we'll just see where they go with that. But it, it is interesting to see them incorporating now more of these characters that they've already put on their comic book pages and now bringing them into the live action as well. So we'll see how they evolve this as they go. Were you aware of any of this, of, of the Wiccan? Like, when you were watching WandaVision... Mm -hmm. Were you aware, like, when, like, the kids were born, and were you aware of that, oh, that's Wiccan and that's Speed, but, or or did you just watch it like a, a regular viewer? Yeah, you, you just watched it, and they were just there, the kids, right? I watched it like a regular viewer who, who has not read the comic books and wasn't familiar. Um, I mean, obviously, the kids have incredible powers, which they start to showcase. But, you know, I mean, that's the thing, is that um, with these stories, there's always going to be things that resonate for certain people that stand out, um, you know, because they either love the comic books, read the comic books, or in the case of Matthew Grant, you know, he connected to this character because he had this common, you know, this common reality with this, with this character. So, um, for me, it didn't necessarily stand out, but I, I think that the fact that MCU is exploring how to make the, their products, their shows, something that really can speak to every single person, uh, I think that's a, I think it's great.
Yeah. And I and I love the exploration of that. So is there going to be a season two of WandaVision then? No, I don't think so. I think you're going to see this become a, a motive, something that leads into Doctor Strange 2. Oh, okay. So, but we'll see. That. By the way, Daniel Luna sends in a Super Chat badge. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Appreciate Daniel. that. So the Wakandan Forever has another question for us. Thanks, Wakandan Forever. Hi, John. Thank you for answering my question on the Hall of Fame about Rose and is this Benoit? Benoit. Or Benoit. Okay, that's what I thought. You know, I wasn't sure. Uh, Benoit. Um, I just think Benoit balls when I hear that. My point of judging athletes on the field, we seem to both agree. After thinking about it, I felt weird about sending in the question. Not the best two examples. Thanks. Okay, so what Wakanda Forever is talking about is the other day he sent in a question. And I get what he was asking. He goes, you know, the basis of the question was, when judging athletes, should they strictly be judged in terms of their all-time great position in, in, the, in the pantheon of all-time greats? Should we only consider their on the field or on the ice or on the court performance and not their, you know, away from the field stuff. For example, should, he asked, should Pete Rose and Chris Benoit be in their, their respective Hall of Fames? To which I said, those are two totally different situations. One was a baseball player, truly one of the greatest baseball players of all time, who got into a little bit of trouble because he was caught betting on games. He never bet against his own team. Like, he never did anything that would present a conflict of interest. But you know what? He broke the rules. Naughty, naughty. He broke the rules and they've kept him out of the Hall of Fame for it. And, and I think he should be in the Hall of Fame considering his on-field. He's been punished enough. They kept him out for a very long time. I think, you know, the punishment's got to fit the crime. I, I think enough time has passed. It's time to put him in. Chris Benoit is a professional wrestler who murdered his wife and son and then committed suicide. Now, were there some extenuating circumstances to that? A little bit. A coroner's report said that when they looked at his brain, because of all the head trauma he's taken from his profession, they said he had the brain of a 90-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Mm -hmm. Did that play a role in, the, in something, in a guy that everybody his whole life said had been a really great, wonderful human being? Maybe, but we don't know that. What we do know is that he murdered his wife and his son and then committed suicide. So I, what I was saying to Wakanda was, you can't really compare the Pete Rose situation to the Chris Benoit, to the Crippler situation. You can't really compare them. They are two very different things. And although Wakandan is writing and saying that, he goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yep, that was, that was a bad comparison. And uh, But yeah, so they're two different scenarios. Anyway. Okay, what's next? All right, what's next? The Rukondan Forever coming in with the questions on hot Mortal Kombat. I remember growing up when arcades were still a thing. I would spend my allowance playing Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and Street Fighter 2 every weekend. What was the name of your local arcade? I am Sub Zero and Ken Guy. What are you? Which are your characters? Uh, I was a Ryu and uh, Liu Kang guy, to be honest. My arcade didn't have a name, at least that, not that I know of, because I grew up about uh, 15 minutes up the road from a mall in Hamilton, Ontario called Limeridge Mall. That is still there to this day, very modernized and updated. But when they built it, they had an arcade in it. And I used to live in that arcade. I used to go there. And a big thing of quarters in my pocket, and I go there, arcade, and play games all the time. But I do not remember there being a name of the arcade. Chasu was just the Limeridge Mall Arcade. They eventually took it out and built movie theaters into it, which was really interesting. But uh, they took the arcade out, and it's still out to this day. But yeah, that is my... Did you have an arcade around you when you were growing up? In, in You grew up in Texas, right? Yeah, and I grew up in the middle of the sticks. Like, it was a... 45 minute drive to like get to the post office. I, there was nothing around me. So I was not hanging. I was like hanging out in the forest. I was not hanging out in arcades. <laughs> Although I will say there is a really cool 
bar. I think it's called Barcade. It might be. It, it, well, that's a whole genre thing, but there are several of those around LA. No, but really there's cool. one actually called Barcade. Oh, okay. And so this place, I don't even know. I don't know if this is the actual Barcade because there's no sign on the door. It's literally just a black door and you have to just know it's there. It's on Western in Los Angeles. And for Tom's 35th birthday, I threw him a surprise birthday party. He's impossible to surprise, but I was able to do it. I did an 80s themed birthday party. I had everybody dress in full 80s regalia. I hired an 80s DJ to play. The whole place was covered in balloons. And it's a cash only bar that has all the original old school bar like you know, the, the original was like Miss Pac-Man, Centipede, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I brought a change of clothes for Tom with like four popped collar polo <laughs> shirts. And then I had a balloon drop thing that we did. And I had a massive bag of like $20 worth of uh, quarters for him and a taco truck outside. It was great fun. That's nice. Why were I you invited or there? Case. You must have been invited. It might have been in one of those like weird periods, you know, when you're friends with someone for 20 years and sometimes like, you know, a year goes by and you like, because we've never had a fight, have we? No, you and I have never had the slightest argument except over the Oscars, except about the Oscars. Well, you're wrong on that. Well, oh, I'm well, so I'll right. have to throw I'm I'll have so to throw right. you a surprise party then, and I'll recreate the whole thing. It was great uh, fun, and we'll do it. We'll go to the we'll go to the bar when everything opens back. By the up. way, Brooks Kirk sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Brooks. Thanks, appreciate Brooke. that, man. All right, what's next? Uh, I I'm good. I do not know how to pronounce this name, but it's spelled M A R I J N. Marijed. I'm not. I'm Margin. Th- I'm so sorry. If Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans do return, would it not undermine their beautiful send off in Endgame? Let's say that you're right. At one point in the future, Iron in, at one point in the future, Iron Man and Cap will still need to either retire or get recast. What then? Another funeral? Thanks, John. I've heard a lot of people ask, like, if they bring back Robert Downey Jr., does that undermine the beauty of of the way he kind of died? The answer to that question is no. It doesn't. It already happened. We were in the theaters and we had the experience, and it happened. Him coming back in another movie at some point, which you know he will doesn't change that experience that we already had. Here's an example. Spider-Man's death at the end of Infinity War. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark, as he starts to dust in Tony Stark's arm. Was that not a beautiful moment? Was that not an incredible cinematic moment? We were all in the theater and watching him die, and you hear hear all the boo-hoos around the theaters. Everybody's crying, and Peter Parker's dying. It was a beautiful moment. And he immediately came back in the next movie. He was back. Did him coming back and swinging through the portal as the music plays, dun, 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 on your left, and in comes Spider-Man. Did that moment undo or undermine the moment that he had just had in the previous film? No. What about, what about Gamora? Oh no, Thanos is going to kill his daughter. The only thing he loves. And he holds her over the cliff and throws her over the cliff, spitting her out like bad bubblegum, and down she falls to her death. That was an incredible moment in the movie. Was it magically undone when in the next movie, oh, look, Gamora's back. No, because that moment had happened. Think about the best sex you ever had with an ex. It was an incredible experience. It was a wild, wild night. Later you find out your ex is a bit of a jerk. Does that change that you had an incredible experience at that one time? Doesn't change it, so no. If Robert, if... If Peter coming back doesn't undo the magic of that moment when he died, if Gamora coming back doesn't undo the magic of when Gamora died, if if all that kind of stuff, then no, when Tony comes back, whenever it is, in whichever way, it won't change that experience that we already had. It might change the way we look back on it, 
but it doesn't change. The experience happened and it doesn't change. So that's how, I, well, I don't know. What do you think about stuff like that? When, if a character comes back that had some kind of big death scene, does that, for you, does that undermine that big death scene they had previously? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it kind of does because then I'm just like, oh, it was like, are, like, where are we in time? It's the same reason why, like, except for Back to the Future, time travel stuff just kind of trips me out because I'm like, wait a minute. Had, wait, it just, it gets me a little, I don't know. I just go, all right, well, I had, I, I. I had closure on that character. You gave me my closure. Now you're asking me to go back to that wound and rip that scar open again. I don't know if I can do that. I'm too much of an empath for that. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> What's next? All right. Ryan Loner says, I'd love to get excited about all the people saying the Snyder Cut is great. The problem is these are the same exact people who all said Man of Steel was great and that Batman versus Superman was great and that Suicide thought, well, you get the idea. So I'm not exactly feeling very confident that we're suddenly going to be on the same page about this one. I've liked a lot of Snyder's work. That owl movie is seriously underrated. I love that owl movie, by the way. Is it actually called That Owl no, it's Movie? It's called Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gaul. <laughs> okay. It's the actual name of it. It's not called you should kind of just owl call movie. it That Owl Movie. Yeah. I think that would be better. But is DC films just do nothing for me? Um, look, and and I get and you I get it. One of the things I predicted, just as a guess, going in to watching Snyder Cut was my guess is that for everybody who appreciates Snyder's take on the DCEU are probably going to be really happy. And people who already know they don't like Snyder's take on the DCEU, they don't, if you don't like Man of Steel, if you don't like Batman versus Superman, then the odds are you probably won't like this one, although you may. <clears throat> and what I've seen a lot of is a, a lot of that. People who appreciate Man of Steel, whatever, are definitely all on board for it because they already know they appreciate Zack Snyder's take on it. And I've seen a lot of the people who haven't liked, don't like Snyder Cut, are generally the ones who didn't appreciate Man of Steel and stuff like that. And that's perfectly good. This is Zack Snyder. This is Zack Snyder's sensibilities. So, yeah, listen, if you're somebody who you already know because you've tried a couple of his DC movies and you know that for you, Zack Snyder's take and his DNA in, in a DC Universe film just doesn't work for you, then yeah, maybe you probably won't like Snyder Cut. You probably won't. Um, if you're somebody like me, where you really do like his previous work, it really does appeal to people like me a little bit more. But, you know, I, I would also say, I mean, I don't know, his best movie is still Man of Steel. That's still his best DCU movie. And I don't think the Snyder Cut is anywhere near as good as Man of Steel. But I, I personally think it's quite good. And if you didn't like Man of Steel, I don't know. But you might want to give it a shot and just see. Because you never know, Ryan. You never know. It just might click for you. So maybe give it a shot. All right. What's next? James Hoffman writes, For me, Superman and Lois works because A, it respects the character of Superman. And B, it explores the struggles of parenting in a real way. But it also shows the love they have. For example, Clark trying to have a romantic date night in the barn with Lois. Which he then has to balance out against his responsibilities as Superman in that exact same scene. It's a great example. I said the other day that this Superman show has cracked the code. Something Robert Meyer Burnett on this show is often saying, and he's completely right is that it is very difficult to tell a compelling story about the superman because he is the superman he's the superman what do you have that can fight superman there's very very few things in the universe that can fight superman which is why we're usually always coming back to the same things we're coming back to doomsday coming back to zod coming back to brainiac you know we're constantly coming back to those same things because what can challenge superman and what this show has done 
is that you know what challenges Superman? Life. He's a father. He's got responsibilities as a husband. He's the most powerful being on earth, so he has responsibilities to all mankind and figuring out how to draw that balance. And they're constantly putting him in no-win situations without ever feeling like they have to emasculate Superman to create drama for him. No, they still make him the Superman, but he has plenty of drama because there's challenges that his superpowers just can't address. And that's one of the things that I love about it, James, and I'm glad you're enjoying it too. All right, what's next? Zaid Habjaka says, Hi, John. I like The Last Jedi. It has a different Star Wars story formula, but I dislike two things. Skywalker and how much time did not pass since The Force Awakens. Now, since we both dislike the third one, how would you continue the second if you were given the chance? Um, I don't like to... Uh, look, I... Zaid, I, I get it. I don't like to play that game of here's what I would have done with the movie. I, I try to not play that game at all. But I will tell you this. I actually really loved. There are things about The Last Jedi I did not like. And I've talked about those ad nauseum. I actually am one of those guys that I love the way they handled Luke Skywalker. I thought that it really brought home the humanity of the character and felt very real to me. But I agree with you, too, that one of the things that didn't work for me so well was breaking the tradition of the Star Wars movies that a certain amount of time has passed. I, it felt a little jarring to me that they just picked right up in the next one. It's like, that doesn't feel very Star Wars-ish to me. So yeah, I agree with you on that one. As far as what I would have done, again, I don't like to play that game because I wasn't the one in the director's chair. But but yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting decision, not what I would have done to have it pick up right away. So I agree with you on that. All right, what's next? Carl Adams says, The Snyder Cut was a disappointment after all the hype. I enjoyed the additional scenes, but a few of my favorites from the theatrical release are now missing. People need to stop pretending like the other one is the Whedon Cut. I have no doubt that given the same time and money to make his own version of Justice League, Joss Whedon could do better than the theatrical cut, which frankly appears to have been made up of nine, which appears to have made up 90% of Zack Snyder's scenes anyway. Not sure he deserves all the hate. People we were just talking about this last night. Yeah, I mean, people misunderstand constantly the scenario of what brought Joss Whedon in. Warner Brothers didn't make Joss Whedon change Zack Snyder's movie. They just basically, they made the exact same movie Zack Snyder had already made, just shorter and worse. I mean, that's it. It's the same. They made Joss Whedon make the same movie, just shorter and worse. Joss Whedon wasn't allowed to come in and create his own movie. They basically said, we need you to cut this movie in half, and there's a bunch of things we don't like about it. And by the way, Joss Whedon, we're not giving you any more time to do it. The release date is staying the same. It was an impossible situation and scenario. And frankly, I think a lot of people were surprised watching Zack Snyder's cut to see just how much of the theatrical version was indeed Zack Snyder's. Like, there were a lot of people that were thinking, like, this is going to be 95% different. Only 5% of the theatrical movie was actually Snyder's. And it turns out that's not true. But here's the thing. By giving it more room to breathe, now, granted, if they tried to release a four-hour theatrical film, it would have flopped. A lot of people have a hard time going to the movies at a three-hour film. A lot of the general movie-going audience, you tell a general movie-going audience there's a four-hour film, they're going to avoid it in droves. It would have flopped. But for Warner, for HBO Max, here's what that extra time did. And we talked about this a lot on the open spoiler discussion yesterday. The key difference about the, the original 
thing, which is a lot of people think that the original thing's theatrical. No, 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 no. The original thing was Zack Snyder's. That was the original thing. Zack Snyder had his edit. He showed it to the Warner Brothers executives before they parted ways and they commissioned Joss Whedon to come in and do all these changes. The original thing was Zack Snyder's. That was the original. By having that extra time, the characters all were given more room to breathe. And that makes such a fundamental difference on the overall quality of the movie because it creates a fundamental difference in our ability as an audience mem members and audience participants to engage with those on-screen characters. Now, I'm going to give one minor spoiler here about Justice League Away right now. If you don't want to hear this uh, minor spoiler, put on mute. For, I'll put up my hand right now. Once I put my hand down, you can turn off mute, okay? There's a scene in this movie that fundamentally completely changes our perception of Cyborg which is the scene of Cyborg and the Waitress. You, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Cyborg and the Waitress. Because in the theatrical version, and hell, even in the rest of Snyder Cut, if you take out that scene with the Waitress, Victor just comes across as an emo, mopey, oh, poor me, miserable, miserable dude. But when you put in that scene of Cyborg and the Waitress where you actually get, oh, I'll keep my hand up here, where you actually get to see the heart of Victor. You get to see the compassion of Victor. You get to see the, the priorities of Victor and what is important to him. That fundamentally changes the entire way we see Victor in the rest of the movie. Suddenly now when you see Victor Kind of around, you understand that he is just hurt and in pain because underneath the metal, there is still a heart, metaphysically speaking. There is a heart, a compassionate, warm heart, and it changes the way you perceive the character in the entire rest of the movie. That is just a microcosm. That is just a sample size of what giving the movie more room to breathe and not cutting it all out does to fundamentally change our perception of the movie. This is fundamentally the same movie as the theatrical cut. It is. It's just better because they put these things in that give massive amounts of a fundamental seismic shift in how we perceive the events going on and the characters that inhabit those events. And I think that one moment of Cyborg and the Waitress is a great one single sample size example of how the entire movie is affected. Hand is down. No more spoiler talk. So anyway, that's just kind of my take on things. Anyway, what is next? The next question comes from Alfredo Para, uh, who says, or Para, who says, Hi, John. I remember seeing that director's chair you have in the background back in the mailbag days. <laughs> Any story behind that chair? Keep up the great work. Well, the chair, which is uh, right over my this shoulder here, I've had this chair for a while. I got that chair. And Aaron, you had probably seen this chair because I, have. I was um, dating this uh, hot little thing uh, oh, named Anne. Oh, okay. Um, I thought this was going to be the TBA time beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> nope, nope. I was uh, I was dating this girl named Anne, who is of course now my wife. And uh, when I was making my movie, the anniversary, and that uh, Aaron Cummings was in. Yes, I was. And she bought for me as a gift. A director's chair. You can't see it because it's blurred out for, from for, for because of the force this perspective. 
but she actually had my name, John Campia, woven into the the back of the director's chair. And I think that been, that might have been the moment, Aaron. Oh yeah. When I was like, this girl gets me. You gotta wifey that one up. That I, I gotta put a ring on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the moment. But anyway, that is the story behind my director's chair. Thank I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, yeah, the, that she, is re- that. That's a really good gift. It's hard to be. You know, I feel like having the, the gift giving gene is something that like some people just have. That's a great gift. By the way, and here's another little interesting story about this director's chair. So in making that movie, uh, on one of the days on set. Uh, a friend of mine named Chris Tung, who's a vice president at Dark Horse, and he's a producer on uh, The Boys, the the Amazon series oh, The yeah, Boys. He's a producer on The Boys. Great. And a producer on a bunch of other things. Anyway, he was on set, and he was helping us tear down one day on the anniversary. He and, was on set on the anniversary? Yeah, he was there. He was there helping out. And he took... He took my chair away because I had left and he was helping clean up the set. So he had taken my chair and then I had totally forgotten about it. And he had, he wrote to me, he goes, John, don't forget. I got your chair. And like five years passed. <laughs> and then he says, John, seriously, got to get you your chair back. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. So Meanwhile, I'm, Anna's like, I gave you that chair. Well, and- we were living in very small apartments at the time. So we, we, we kind of didn't really have anywhere to put it at got the it. time. Mm-hmm. But finally got my chair back. So that's so, yes, this little chair back here has a long and tailed epic history of triumph and the journey. Anyway. All right. What's next? Um, I am going to, I am not going to be you a tray you from, uh, from, um, uh, uh, never ending story. Atreyu. Oh, of course. Hello. Thank you. Atreyu asks, I have always had a basic understanding of aspect ratios when it comes to 16, nine and four, three, but I've noticed as of late, there are many different aspect ratios, i.e. 2.351 and 2.391. Why are there so many when TV and movie screens don't vary in aspect ratios? Okay, that is a great question, Atreyu. And look, I, I'm not a historian on this, but basically there's this. When Thomas Edison created, we're going all the way back to Thomas Edison? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it was Thomas Edison. When Thomas Edison created really the first film strip, um, he kind of did it where it was uh, the the size of the frame on the 35 millimeter film strip was four perforations tall, which ended up with a width, uh, basically a radical dimension of 1.33 or four by three. And that was what Thomas Edison first came up with. And for a long time, that was the standard. Now, I believe the Academy, I may not be remembering this right, but in the 1930s, the Academy uh, of Motion Arts, Pictures, and Sciences created a standardized format that they called the Academy Ratio, I believe. And I believe instead of 1.33, which is what the Thomas Edison was, 4 by 3 it was like 1.37. Oh, I remember they did that because they were starting to incorporate an audio track into the film strip itself. And that changed the perspective a little bit. So the new standard became 1.37, if I'm remembering it right. Long comes the 50s. And we're in the 50s. Here came television, right? And television was everything is 4 by 3 So they put everything out in 4 by 3 Well, by the time you get a little bit further on, they're realizing, huh, people are staying home. This new thing, the TV, is keeping people home instead of going to the movies. The movies needed something to try to attract people into it. Wide screen. And they created something called the... Um, Cinerama. They created something called Cinerama, 
which by the way, in Hollywood, the Cinerama, it is in this format. The Cinerama Dome. The Cinerama Dome in Hollywood, which you got to visit, by the way. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's Rob's favorite movie theater in case you guys ever are. I saw Dreamgirls there. Really? Mm -hmm. um, so they created this system where they basically took the four by three, turned it like this and put three of them beside each other. Seriously, the way they projected it was they had to get, they broke the image into three parts, put each part on its own projector. And then these three projectors would project each of the three parts. But if you're looking at it on screen, it just looks like one image. And they created this thing called um, Cinerama. Anyway, that wasn't really ideal and eventually continued to evolve when we started getting all these different aspect ratios. Now, eventually you got around to this 2.35, which kind of became the standard. When they were then creating HGTV and putting out televisions, the two most popular standards were television 4x3, movies was 2.35, or 2.35. Uh, 2 so there was kind of an extrapolated um, uh, compromise where 16 by 9 kind of became the compromise to 4 by 3 by 2.35. And hence, the 16 by 9, which is now the... You are watching this video right now in 16 by 9, kind of became the de facto home entertainment thing. But you still had the cinema stuff. And then as more formats developed and changed, everything from Vistavision and all these types of things... The, they always played with the aspect ratio. And now uh, these days there's even more because filmmakers, it's a, it's an aesthetic choice. Quentin Tarantino does this a lot. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going, I should have made this a campia classroom, but it, sorry, just hitting me on the spot, but it's really more of a creative choice that certain directors like to work in. You know, they want to make their film in the standard 2.35, or they might want to do 2.85 or whatever. It really becomes more of an aesthetic choice. So uh, yeah, that's, that's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm no historian. I, I may be missing a few pieces in that, but that's a really interesting question you asked there, Atreyu, and I hope that clears it up at least a little bit. All right. What's All right. Next? James Lockman says, my top 10 80s films are number one, The Goonies, number two, <laughs> The Color Purple, number three, The Last Dragon, four, Scarface, five, An American Werewolf in London, which turns 40 this August, and I heard they are doing a remake with a female protagonist, protagonist. number six, Amadeus, seven, Biloxi Blues, eight, The NeverEnding Story, nine, The Outsiders, and ten, The Shining. There are some great ones, and of course, you listed my all-time favorite horror movie, is the uh, that original American Werewolf in London, not to be confused with the very inferior 2000s American Werewolf in Paris movie. American That is still a movie to this day. Horror movies don't scare me, Aaron. Mm -hmm. They don't scare me. I can enjoy a good horror movie because I just, I love the tension in them, all that kind of stuff. American Werewolf in London to this day is a movie I cannot watch at night with the lights off. It yeah. is... It's like the only movie to this day that I can't do it. I just, I cannot do it. That movie freaks me the hell out. So, um, Amarika Olivo, who you know, it was in Bitch Slap, was, was my co star in Bitch Slap. And she, then she was in that Friday the 13th movie. She was in Jared Friday the 13th. Yes. Yeah. I went to the premiere of it and got to support my friend. Um, she actually, she was doing a, um, one of those autograph signing conventions. And knowing that I am a huge fan of John Landis's direction of American Werewolf in London and he also directed the thriller video from Michael That's Jackson right. yep. she actually got an autographed um, picture from John Landis for me oh really. that is so yeah, cool I haven't cool. seen her in years she lives in she's she, in New York now right yeah she's in upstate New York she and her husband Christian and their daughter Senate who is the most beautiful <laughs> child and I know that everybody says they have a pretty baby 
I'll be the first person to say there's a lot of ugly babies. One of my best friends has a really ugly baby. Like, I can't even look at a picture of him. He's so ugly. Um, But um, (laughs) he's just awful. (laughs) Like, why are you posting photos of this ugly-ass child? But anyway, Amarika's child is so beautiful. And she and her husband, Christian, Christian Campbell, Nev Campbell's brother, uh, who is also an actor, they live in upstate New York. And they have a place in the city that whenever they're working, they go down in there. And so she's doing great. I talk to her all the time. Awesome. All right. So James. Lickman says Aaron Sizzle Real was great. It is Thank great. you, James. It is great. Thank you. You guys can check it out on John Campia's channel as well as my Instagram page. One of the things that I said to myself after watching it was, this girl can do anything. Great job, Aaron. Thank you. Also, John, I was trying to find you in the movie Jumper. Was it the frozen lake scene towards the beginning of the film? No, that's not where I am. I, I am in a I'm in two shots in Jumper because they shot a lot of it in Toronto. Uh, this was around a period of time where I was getting invited to go and be like an extra on, on a number of movies that I got to be in. It's not like you never get a clear shot of my face, though, in it. So it's it's going to be very, very difficult to pick me out. It's possible. You can you can pick me out, but you don't get a real good clear shot of my face. So it's, that's one's going to be a little bit more trouble than the Hulk movie. It's going to be a little bit more trouble than the Hulk movie. Anyway. My ex-boyfriend wrote that movie. Really? Yeah. Which ex-boyfriend? David Goyer. Oh, I forgot about that. I, yeah. I totally forgot you and Goyer went out. <laughs> yes, That's right. we did. All right, um, what's next? Great guy. Really great guy. Uh, all right. So James Lockman. Wait, is this James Lickman? Or Lockman. James- well, I know, but there's a James Lickman and then there's James Lockman. So I'm wondering if it's the same person, just a little typo. Well, either James Lockman and James Lickman need to become best friends or we've got a typo on our hands. <laughs> Love the new house. The bathroom looks great and did a great job designing it. So when's the house party? I promise we'll all behave and no cannonballs off the roof into the swimming pool. Ha ha ha. Congratulations, John and Anne. That, yeah, I, we're very, very proud of the house. And yes, like... I'm like me and Dennis, uh, you guys know Dennis Zen or and Christian Harloff talking about when we're going to be able to have an actual housewarming party where Christian can bring the kidlets over and use the pool and Dennis can come hang out. We can have a, a legitimate the kidlets <laughs> and have a legitimate housewarming party. Uh, we haven't been able to do that. We we still I mean, hey, things are getting better, but, you know, pretty much the extent is that we have, you know, Aaron and Tom over. Or have, um, or have one or two friends over. but Well, I'm excited about how you're going to you, – you said – you were saying last night that you're going to get um, an indoor-outdoor TV on wheels yeah. so that when we're in the pool, you can just roll the big screen out there. We did, that can keep out there. We want I want to get like a 50 to 60-inch TV on a rollable stand that can be outside so that if you're in the pool, you can have the TV on on the side. That's what I want to do next. That's But oh, it's still, the sure. weather's a little cool right now. We're getting there. We're getting there, but we'll, we'll get there soon enough. All right. What's next? Caleb says, okay, do some napkin math with me. Per Hamada, we have 18 DC movies in theaters or on HBO Max in 2022 to 2024. Six are locks. That's Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman 3, Aquaman 2, Shazam 2, and Black Adam. That leaves 12. There are recent reports on three of them. J.J. Superman... Blue Beetle, and Super Pets. Three have had announcements but look less likely as each day goes by. That's Static Shock, New Gods, The Trench. That leaves six complete mysteries. Am I missing something? Do you have any idea what those six could be? Beyond Man of Steel 2, do you have any hopes? I No, I'm, I'm not really hoping for anything. I mean, uh, other than Man of Steel 2 because you guys don't see him, but I got Henry Cavill here 
uh, in his Superman garb overlooking the uh, the safety and protection of the studio. But other than that, no, I just want to see whatever stories they're going to tell. I was very excited to hear uh, that they're doing the Jaime uh, version of Blue Beetle and that that's coming. Jay just got another Superman coming, all that kind of stuff. But no, there are still a number of projects that we still don't know about. And by the way, there's lots of Marvel projects that we don't know about. And but so I don't know what they could be, will be. I still listen. I have doubted from the day they announced it years ago that they were doing a new gods. I, I doubted that. Um, the name of the, uh, she, the she's a fabulous director, director of Wrinkle in Time. Oh, Ava DuVernay. Uh, Ava, du, uh, Ava DuVernay. Was I named my avocado be, tree after her. That's right. You did. <laughs> she was supposed to be directing a new gods and they, they keep updating about what's happening. I still doubt that's ever going to happen, but maybe it will. I do think the static shock thing is going to happen, but I think that's going to be an HBO thing. So I don't know. We got a lot in the pipe and still some projects they're not uh, willing to announce yet. So we'll see. We'll see when they come. All we know is that they got a lot of stuff coming, man. It's a good time to be a comic book content fan. We got all this stuff coming from Marvel. We got a lot of stuff coming from DC. It is a good time to be a fan. All right, what's next? Well, the the next question comes from my favorite name of all, John's <laughs> Dirty Pool Tiles. Says, while I have no interest in the Snyder Cut, he just doesn't do it for me as a director. I am intrigued by the aftermath. Will WB restore the Snyderverse? Could there be sequels? Will Falcon overshadow it? Or Godzilla? What might a success look like? Is, you know, that's been always been a part of the big question about why... I, I've never... As much as I am a fan of, I mean, obviously, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, uh, Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Ghoul, I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's, but I've never under really understood the purpose of doing a Snyder Cut. I've never understood what is there to really be gained. But uh, HBO presented a great opportunity to great, get a lot of attention for HBO Max, their new streaming service, by doing it as a relatively simple thing as opposed to vamping up an entire new movie production. And so it had purpose on that level. I don't know that there's going to be any aftermath. Now, look, all I can say is what has Warner Brothers and what has Zack Snyder said? Zack Snyder has said he's not planning on doing any other DC movies. HBO has said the Justice League is, in their terms, a cul-de-sac. It's, it's a dead end. There, it's a one-time special thing. Now, don't get mad at me for that. That's what Zack Snyder said, and that's what HBO has said, and that's what Warner has said. So until I hear something different from them, which we have not, uh, I'm going to assume that that's that. You know, that this movie has come out, which I do believe is a better version than the theatrical version, uh, that I enjoyed watching quite a bit. And I know a lot of people had a really good time watching it. But as far as I can tell, I, I think that's it. And so until Warner Brothers or Zack Snyder change what it is they're saying, I'll just go by what they said. And so it doesn't look like there's going to be any aftermath. But this is the world we live in, folks where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro. And in that world, anything can happen. So let's keep our eyes open. All right, what's next? Wakanda Forever comes back to us and says, okay, John, this is your last chance. Get out while there's still time because I don't want you to be embarrassed when Godzilla, King of the Monsters, puts Kong to shame. I am loving these pregame shows, but will you be holding a spoiler discussion for Godzilla and Mortal Kombat? Probably will. I'll probably do a spoiler. I mean... Unless I watch Godzilla vs. Kong and I don't like it. So there's that. But God, I'm excited for that movie. I'm still putting my money on Kong. I know very well Godzilla could win the fight. I I know, no, no, no that Godzilla could win that fight. But I'm still going to put my five bucks on King Kong, the true king, 
is Kong, and uh, I'm going to go with that one. And same thing with Mortal Kombat. I will do a spoiler discussion video of it if I don't end up hating the movie, And which, I mean, I love the trailers, but the movie could suck, so I don't know. We'll have to see. But yes, I am planning on that. Okay, what's next? Anonymous says, Prediction for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Zemo's mask is in tribute to Thanos. There is probably a group of people who think Thanos was right to wipe out 50% of life. I can't say anything because I don't want to tip my hand or, or tip the hand of of because no matter what I say, you might be able to extrapolate something uh, from what. Now, of course, remember, guys, today, 3 p.m. <clears throat> Pacific time, we will be doing our Falcon Winter Soldier spoiler discussion. Join us there. Although I will say that when we first saw Zemo's mask, I remember thinking, I wonder if that's like a Thanos thing. I mean, it's probably not, but I'm thinking the same thing you are. Honestly. That's where my thoughts went to, although we're both probably wrong, but we will find out soon enough. Guys, come back and join us at three o'clock for that Falcon and Winter Soldier spoiler discussion. All right, what's next? Next is Mr. TJ Lin says, there's this new movie in China called Hi Mom that passed 800 million U.S. dollars in China alone, regardless of whether it's accurate for a drama slash comedy without spectacles to make anything close to that number is crazy, especially in the streaming era. I, listen, here's the thing, Mr. TJ. And look, I fully acknowledge I this could be absolutely baseless. I'm saying it up front. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. This is absolutely baseless. This is pure just me being skeptical, all right? There's no logical foundation for me to be the skeptical. I'm just letting you know I am, and I'm acknowledging it. I am very skeptical of the reported numbers on a lot of these Chinese movies coming out of China. I am very skeptical of it. I, I, I'll be quite frank with you. I don't believe those numbers. Now, look, I'm not saying I have proof that those numbers aren't real. Not at all. They might be real. They might. But... Um, I, I, I just find it odd that all of a sudden these, these Chinese produced films are producing those number, those kinds of numbers I have. A, and because China's box office reporting is disconnected from the rest of the worldwide, uh, box office reporting. So I, I, I have to admit I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. And maybe one of these days it'll, I'll be proved wrong. And I hope I am. But until that happens, I remain a little bit skeptical of those numbers. So I don't really take them at face value. But that's that's just me. Maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, and I admit that. All right, what's next? Mr. TJ Lin also asks, in general, without any other information, are you more excited to hear news about a new movie with a bad director and great actors or with bad actors and a great director? Easy, but a great director. Uh, uh, listen, a a poor a poor actor in the hands of the right partner of a director. I've, I've always said this to me, the number one job of the director, the first job of the director is to get the performance out of a talented and gifted actor that they need for that movie. It's why you can have a Dave Bautista who I adore Dave, but he'll be the first one to tell you he's not some great thespian. You put him in the hands of a director like James Gunn, in Galaxy uh, Galaxy Quest, in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, when he was much less experienced, and it can work. You take a Gal Gadot, who I don't consider to be a tremendously gifted actress, right. but you put her in the hands of a director of the caliber of a Patty Jenkins, she can make it work. So that's why, to me, I find myself getting a little bit more excited over the idea of the director. Now, don't get me wrong. There could be a movie coming out with a director I don't really know anything about, but it's got uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Denzel Washington, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Brad Pitt, and whatever. 
okay, yeah, that'll probably get my interest pretty good. But generally speaking, the director first. Now, I, it's it's an unfair question to ask you, Aaron, because you are an actress. No, I think it's a very a fair fan, question. As a fan, what piques your excitement more? The the name of the director that's attached or the name of the performers that are attached? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Like there are certain actors, since we were talking about Jessica Chastain, like there's certain actors that no matter what they do, you know, they're just always going to look incredible. Uh, they are, <clears throat> they are, uh, uh, they're they're going to their their talent is just going to shine through regardless and they can actually elevate a I don't want to say a bad director, but a director who maybe still has a lot to learn. An actor sometimes can elevate them. Yeah. Um and uh but but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why sometimes you will see actors that in one project you go, Oh my god, this person is amazing, and then you see another project and you go, is this the same performer? Because, and part of it sometimes is you can tell when sometimes you have a really strong actor like a Colin Farrell, for example, who was amazing in, uh, I forget what the movie was, but the one about um, Walt Disney. Oh, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. He was amazing in Should Saving Mr. Banks. Should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for that, I thought. Right, but then you see him in a movie like, I don't know, Miami SWAT? Vice <laughs> or SWAT, and you can tell that he's just like, I'm cashing my check. I do not care about this movie. That's a different situation. That's when an actor just goes, I want a paycheck and I'm going to phone this one in because I just don't care. And nobody's watching this to nominate me for any awards. I think that's a different situation. But when, but there are certain actors that really depend on their director for their performance. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's one of the reasons why we have directors is to be able to get those performances you know, out of actors who, who, who might need a little bit of help. So I think that's a really fair, fair thing to ask. And, you know, that's why we all work together in the film and television industry. All right. What's next? The next question, question comes to us from James Lockman, who said, I had MoviePass. And when I see how dishonest MoviePass was to its customers, I don't think they can get customers like me back. I can't see MoviePass succeeding with all these other great services out there. Services like this belong to theater chains. Now, of course, this comes from the fact that MoviePass <clears throat> mysteriously reappeared on the web with a countdown clock on their new website, MoviePass uh, Ventures. And so it created a lot of speculation, even variety in the rap. We're talking about what does this mean? Is MoviePass trying to make a comeback? And I find it unlikely, especially in today's age. Well, number one, they have no reputation left with the fans. I mean, they just so screwed the pooch. It's unbelievable. Uh, number two, all the theater, major theater chains now have their own monthly membership services. So you don't need a movie pass. I think it has more to do with promotion of the new Mark Wahlberg documentary series about the rise and fall of movie pass. Now I don't know that I don't, I don't, I have no insider information on that, but I think that is probably the most likely scenario, but I agree with you, James. I don't think a movie pass, if it ever did try to reemerge today, I think it's just something that would not work. I, I do not think that it, uh, I don't think it would fly today. I don't think it would fly. All right. What's next? Um, I'm sorry. I am about to cry right now. Um, Leslie Ann Brandt from Your Lucifer, friend, yeah. my friend, um, given that Tom and I both have pre-existing conditions, I have been struggling so hard to be able to book us a vaccine appointment. The whole time that we've been on YouTube, she has been on the internet trying to book Tom and I appointments. And she just texted me and said, I got you and Tom vaccine appointments for today. 
That's awesome. Like when she's not raising her child or being what mother or wife of the year or starring on Lucifer, she's being like, she's, she's a good egg. She's a damn good egg. That's awesome. So movie, uh, Mr. TJ Lynn says, um, movie, the movie, a movie that everyone likes, but I don't is John Wick. A movie that everyone dislikes, but I like is Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man. <laughs> I'm biased because I'm a Nicolas Cage fan. And you know what, Mr. TJ? <laughs> Good on you because everybody has those movies. It's that not everybody admits it. Nobody wants to admit that they don't like a movie that everybody else loves. And good on it. Because, yeah, John Wick's a movie we all love. I love John Wick. But movies are subjective. They're not. They're going to hit all of us in different ways. And that one hit you in such a way that it didn't work. And there's nothing wrong with that. Good on you for calling that one out. I'm actually curious about you, Aaron. Is there a movie that everybody universally seems to love that you don't, and a movie that everybody seems to universally hate that you actually really do like. Well, the movie that everybody universally hates but I love is Grease 2. It is just... <laughs> That's right. You've talked We've about talked about this. It is a perfect movie in every way. Um, a movie that everybody loves that I don't. Um, I know that there is a big one, and I'm, for, I'm blanking on the name. I'll try to remember it. All right. What's next? All right. So we have Scarf Dude. Um, apparently, uh, okay, Scarf Dude says, um, hey, John, you always say that winning cures everything. Yep. And there's no better example than you loving Superman and Lois. It's true. You start, listen, it's an old sports analogy, but it's true. Winning cures everything. You make a great show like L Superman and Lois, it cures everything. It makes everything. My hatred of their iteration of Superman is now gone because... They're winning. They're making great material. Winning cures everything. You know, in the sports world, when you're talking about, you, this is how we we kind of measure this up. The, the reason I like this when it comes to uh, attaching it to uh, movies and TV is, you know, a sports team can have a lot of guys in the locker room who may not like each other. And maybe there's some tension going on between the coach and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But guess what? Nobody talks about that when the team's winning. Nobody cares about that. When the team's winning, everything's great. When the team's losing, everybody goes, oh, it's all these problems and blah, blah. Here's another good example of that. Everybody thinks that studios don't interfere with directors on their movies. Guess what? They always do. With very, very few exceptions. You want to know why? Because it's their movie. It's their money. It's their movie. It's not the director's movie. It's their movie. But... When a movie, like for instance, Peter Jackson talks a lot about how there was a lot of notes and a lot of input from New Line about the Lord of the Rings films. And nobody talks about the studio interference on Lord of the Rings films because they won. Because those movies were awesome. Because they were fantastic. When the movies are great, they always call it collaboration. That's the word we use. When the movies are great, when the studio has input and the director has input and they have to compromise their visions, they call it great teamwork, great collaboration when the movies are awesome. But when the movie's not great, they use the phrase interference. When the movie's bad, it's interference. When it's great, it's collaboration. And that's, but yes, winning cures everything. And an example like Superman and Lois is actually a really, really terrific example of that because that was a show I cared nothing about. And now all of a sudden, it's right up there at the top of my list. And I love it. Winning 
does indeed cure everything. All right, what is next? Next question is from the Wakandan Forever. This land is your land. This land is my <laughs> land. Okay, LOL, I watched Justice League today. It was literally the longest film I have ever seen. I planned to binge it, but I just couldn't. I sat through Endgame and Lord of the Rings multiple times. I feel it was overhyped. Yeah, I said something a little bit controversial, and I don't care. It's, it is what it is. The Zack Snyder Justice League is too long. But John, didn't you just say that the extra length really benefited the film? Absolutely it does. Yeah, the extra length absolutely benefits the film. Up to about three hours and 20 minutes, three hours and 30 minutes. There are a number of scenes, like for instance, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, you saw in the trailer, there's a scene with Ezra Miller, well, with Flash and with Iris, right? With Barry and Iris. We see that in the trailer, in the Zack Snyder Cut trailer. That scene shouldn't have been in the movie. I'm not saying it was a bad scene, not at all. I'm not saying it's a bad scene, but it was... It didn't add to the narrative of the movie. That was a scene that should have been in a different movie. It just didn't need to be there, and it made the, the movie longer unnecessarily. And I think there's a good 30 minutes of this movie that could have been cut out, because I think at like three hours and 30 minutes, I think this movie sings, like absolutely sings at 3.30. Um, but yeah, look, at the end of the day, though, the extra the extra length of the film did more good for this movie than there was bad, like far more good than there was bad. But yeah, were there some scenes that probably could have been taken out? Did this thing was the best length for this movie four hours? No, it wasn't. The best length for this movie is probably about 3.30. But I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. it. It was very, very long, but very enjoyable nonetheless. All right, what's next? The Wakandan Forever says, Movies in 20 minutes. Number one, Meteor Man. Number two, Dread. Number three, Guyver. Number four, Warrior. Number five, Flight of the Navigator. Six, Spaceballs. Yes. Seven, Action Jackson. Eight, Big Trouble in Little China. Nine, Never Ending Story. Ten, Princess Bride. Eleven, Hook. Twelve, Willow. Thirteen, Beverly Hills Cop. Fourteen, Kick-Ass. Fifteen, Child's Play. And sixteen, The Wizard. So for those of you who don't know, I started a new series on the channel called Movies in 20. We only have two up right now uh one for mystery men and one for uh what was the last one i just did last starfighter so basically the idea for movies in 20 is this if there's a movie you often hear talked about but you've never seen it and you want to be able to keep up with the conversation boom we got you covered movies in 20 so if you watch movies in 20 we walk you through the entire movie with some of my commentary as well we walk you through the entire movie and so therefore you can now understand conversations about that movie and hopefully it'll motivate you to go and watch the movie yourself i was super thrilled after we put up the mystery men movies in 20 how many people wrote into me and said john i finished the video and i went right out and i rented mystery men thank you for introducing that movie that's exactly what i wanted to hear and uh, we are going to do some more of them and we'll see how it goes all right what's next anonymous tipped and said hey john just want to let you know there are absolutely no there absolutely were issues excuse me there were issues with hbo max rob even tweeted about it and replied other shows and re and the replies show that other people did too there was also a number of similar issues and complaints when i checked the hashtag you probably just missed it so i was uh, okay so maybe i need to take back my criticism of disney plus because when I was, I think it was during the, I think it was during the spoiler discussion I was talking about this, where it's like, hey, Disney Plus, yeah, how come HBO Max can launch a big thing and not have crashes, and you freaking every single week in, week out, everything's crashed, get your bloody act together, Disney Plus, 
well, maybe I should need to, maybe I need to take back that criticism of Disney Plus because maybe some other people are having the same types of problems. Okay, maybe I have to walk that one back. All right, what's next? All right, you know what? The Wakandan Forever, excuse me, there was not a one of two, so I wasn't, I didn't know that you were continuing on. I just thought we were stopping at 16, but it continues. 17, Shocker, 18, Tron, 19, The Warriors, 20, Enter the Dragon. Okay, John, 20 movies in 20 minutes. Yeah. What was your first action film you saw in theaters? Have oh, a good one. I, I, I don't remember i know the first movie i went to go see it was at limeridge mall that we we're talking about where the arcade was the first movie i went to go see with a friend that i didn't go to the theaters with my parents was a kenny rogers movie called six pack <laughs> he, kenny rogers plays a nascar race car driver and I he's low on money and he loses his crew and he comes across these six orphan kids uh, that are siblings that obviously are masters at car repair. I mean, and why so wouldn't they he be? makes these children, he engages in illegal child labor and basically engages these kids to be his pit crew. And of course, at the end, he adopts them and stuff like that. And it's called Six Pack. And uh, that Dwayne the Rock Johnson 100% will star in that remake. And remake Can you was, not see him in that movie? Oh yeah, especially after that what the football one he just the, the the one he did what was it called uh the game plan? We were watching it last that, night. And on TV last yeah. night game plan. That's totally a Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie in the Him future. or John Cena. Somewhat so what is it called again? The movie? The um, Six Pack? Six Pack. Okay. Somebody out there, you have the ability <laughs> to make this happen. Please. Dwayne The Rock Johnson or John Cena. Get them to remake the six-pack. <laughs> All right. That's what I'm asking. What's next? All right. The next question comes to us from Zach. Uh, Rob suggested this show about zombies called Kingdom oh, on I've Netflix. I've talked about the show all so the time. So I gave it a try, and let me tell you, it was the greatest zombie show I have ever seen. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, I've, I've brought up this show many times on, on here because our friend Kaori uh, she was constantly telling us, you guys got to watch Kingdom, not the Frank Grillo MMA show Kingdom. This is a different one. It's, I believe it's Korean produced. It's kind of period piece, but it's a zombie thing at the same time. It's great. It's great. It's got the political intrigue of a Game of Thrones, but it's set in like in the Asian culture and it's about, you know, the, the this dynasty and there's zombies and it's it's just, it's crazy good. It's really crazy good. If you've not checked out Kingdom, you guys should give it a shot. It's really quite excellent. If it is Korean and it is about zombies, I am in it because Train to Busan is such oh, yeah. a brilliant zombie movie. I think it's probably my favorite zombie movie. Um, so, yeah, that, I'm, I'm into Check it. Check out Kingdom. It's, it's I, on Netflix. It's really great. All right, what's next? All right, Joe Slade says, just finished the Snyder Cut. I was genuinely surprised how good it was and actually a little disappointed that we don't get to see the fellow... The follow, um, the probably the follow, oh, the follow up. up from it. I think the DCEU could have gone on very strong from this storyline. Also, I thought Jared Leto was so much better here. I, I, I disagree. I think Jared Leto was great already, and I thought this was definitely his Joker in a different situation. But I, I thought I already thought the character was good. Here's the problem: Warner Brothers had already done, not counting Justice League. Warner Brothers had already done two Zack Snyder DCEU films and they both underperformed. Now, I'm just saying, if you are the business guy over there, if you're the business guy over there and you're seeing Marvel putting out billion dollar films left, right and center, 
and like almost everything they put out, they put out Captain Marvel and it made a billion dollars. They put out Black Panther and it made a billion dollars. They they just it lost track of how many of their films made a billion dollars. Meanwhile, you put out a movie with the two greatest superheroes of all time, Batman and Superman, and you can't crack a billion dollars. And you've got half the critics hated it, half the audience say blah, blah, blah. If you're Warner Brothers and you're one of the account guys over there, you're one of the business people, I get it. I mean, it sucks because I need Man of Steel 2, I need Man of Steel 3, and I need Man of Steel 4. But while I, I lament that, I, I get where they're coming from. Like, I understand why. If you stand back objectively and you look at the situation, it's a difficult thing to move on. But um, again, I thought... Snyder Cut was better than the theatrical version. I liked it better than Batman versus Superman. It is my fourth favorite DCEU film ahead of Aquaman, which you know I enjoy Aquaman. So I've got, for me, it's Man of Steel, uh, Shazam, Wonder Woman, not Wonder Woman 84, and Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, and then um, and then Aquaman. That's my top five right now. So that's where I sit. All right, what's next? The Wakandan Forever asks, now that we saw the Snyder Cut, are we going to have to do a Whedon Cut? <laughs> I can hope not. The original release version was a mashup of different directors' visions. It would be interesting to see him do a version of Justice League from start to finish. It's a new world now, after all. Yeah, when you go back again, I was, I was, I'm confounded by this. I still have no idea, especially after watching the Zack Snyder Justice League now, I have no idea why, if they were so dead set on just having a two hour movie. They didn't need to bring in another director. They didn't need to reshoot anything. All they could have done was gotten an editor and edit it down to two hours. And it wouldn't have been as good. It wouldn't have been as good. But if that's all you needed, because they are the same movie, just one's a lot shorter and one's a lot better. And I I just, I'm confounded. So yeah, cl clearly. And I remember there's a lot of discussion going around. You know, if, if Joss Whedon changed everything about the movie, why is Zack Snyder still listed as the director of credit? Well, when you watch the Zack Snyder Justice League, that's why he was still the director of credit because that was still his movie, except completely cut in half, take all that character development away, take all the narrative setup stuff taken away, and you just left with a much shorter and much worse version of the film. And yeah, it would have been interesting if the guy who did Avengers was given from the start the keys to do a Justice League movie, not trying to Frankenstein it out of what another director had already done and basically keep it the same but cut it in half and make some weird, unexplicable... It would have been interesting to see. I am not asked... I, I, however, do not want a Josh... We you know, hashtag release the Whedon cut. I have no desire to see that happen again. We've just been through that whole circus. Let's not do it again with Whedon, shall we? All right, what's next? War Doctor 10 says, hi, John and crew. Hello. Watched the Snyder cut on Thursday and absolutely loved it. But my one gripe with it was that the aspect ratio, I was watching it on my 70-inch television in my living room and the picture didn't even fill up the whole screen. Damn it. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so look, I... I still think it was a very questionable decision for Zack Snyder to do uh, to do Snyder cut in a four by three aspect ratio that I, I don't understand. I get it. It was a creative decision. I don't see what the benefit of it was, whatever. And I thought it would bother me too. But to be honest, I noticed it and it bothered me a little bit for like the first five, 10 minutes. But honestly, after the first five or 10 minutes goes by, your brain just adjusts. It's like, and, and I didn't even notice the black bars on the side anymore. So yes, it took a, it took a moment of adjustment 
But once your brain adjusts and tunes in, your brain just sees it as the movie. You don't see the black bars on the side. So, yeah, I don't know why he did it. I think it was a questionable decision to make it four by three. But at the end of the day, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of it. And I didn't even notice it after the first few minutes. So maybe your experience was different, but I can just tell you what my experience was. And it really didn't make it. It didn't have an it didn't have a negative impact on my personal viewing experience. So I can, I'll just leave it at that. All right, what's next? Oh, this is a big one. Willow asks, which is the more egregious snub for best documentary at the Academy Awards? Won't you be my neighbor? Or movie trailers, a love story? Well, obviously, movie trailers, a love story. Obviously. should have won. It's the only reason, like, the only reason there should be an Oscars this year is for the documentary, movie trailers, a love story. Without it being nominated, there's just no purpose of the thing. But to be honest, I'm going to boycott the Oscars <laughs> just for this reason alone. But won't you be my neighbor? Listen, I still remember when they were making commercials for the Oscars, even the the people making the commercials for the Oscars just assumed that won't you be my neighbor would be nominated and would win best Docu documentary at the Oscars. So won't you be my neighbor was featured prominently in all the commercials for the Oscars leading up before they made the Oscar nomination announcements. And then the Oscar nomination announcements came out and no, won't you be my neighbor for best documentary? Crazy. I I am still to this day completely dumbfounded by that. And even the Academy was shocked because they had it in all the commercials. And it's like, whoops. Yeah, so that that is clearly, clearly the bigger snub. Everyone assuming that everyone else would nominate it. Yeah, yeah, I think that was, maybe that was a big thing. All yeah. right, what's next? The Wakandan Forever, clearly drunk, says, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. All right, our work is done here. Hey, Henry, put your shirt back on. You're making me question myself. There's LOL. A scene, there's a scene. It's the same one in the theatrical version too, but in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, there's a scene where they get back to the Kent farm and Henry is standing in the wheat field and Lois comes out and, oh, sorry, he's standing there as they arrive back from flying in from Metropolis and he is there in his pants and no shirt. His body physique... I, it's it's very, it's odd. It's a little different because his body, this is what I said yesterday on the show, Aaron. I mm -hmm. said, when you look at Henry's body, right? It's not that thick from back, like from his back to his stomach. Okay. It's not like a super thick body. Mm -hmm. But then you scan up to his pectorals and they, they just like jettison out from his terribly thick body. It's just, Really weird and like human physical perfection. Like it's it's like he's got a swimmer's build, but mm -hmm. with much more muscle. Okay. It's it's like it is a crazy scene. And yes, I do you think any of that was a little post-production tweaking? No. Not saying that he does not have incredible physique, but you know. No, because we've seen workout videos of him and it's like, nope, that's that's only now he's even bigger. He's even bigger than he used to be. So it's kind of okay. crazy. All right, what's next? Floppy, the anorexic elephant, said, I saw Justice League today, and I thought it was a much better film than the 2017 version by far. But man, there was too much slow-mo for me. It makes sense with The Flash, but I felt they could have knocked off a good 10 to 15 minutes if they just sped up some of the scenes. I was I won't say who, but I was talking to somebody this morning on the phone before we started, who was saying basically the exact same thing. It's like, I just... If you had, had to take a shot for every time there was a slow-mo scene, you'd be very, very drunk by about an hour and a half into the film. Hey, look, 
honestly, for me, I didn't notice it all that much. I honestly didn't notice it all that much. It didn't actually bother me. I still think this movie could have shaved about 30 minutes out of it, but I've heard a number of people complaining about the amount of slow-mo shots, and I'm not taking away from your experience. I'm just saying my experience was I didn't even notice it all that much, and it didn't make that much of a difference to me, but that's just me. All right, what is next? Anonymous said, I saw the stream last night where Snyder disavowed having anything to do with geeks and gamers and basically labeled them a hate group. It was awesome you should do a full video about it because you know if it were the reverse they'd probably do one about you keep it up filthy um all right well i don't agree with that all right i'll i'll, I'll touch on this quickly and then let's move on from it yeah um i heard about this i didn't see the live stream myself um but i heard about this uh that the, the uh, there's some headlines on in i can't remember if it was indie wire or whatever saying Zack snyder labels geeks and gamers a, a hate group or whatever when you know i think a couple of people from geeks and gamers were on that stream with him um i should make a video about it no i'm not going to make a video about that i will and, and yes you're right if the same thing happened in reverse would like a geeks and gamers whatever do a video about me about it yes because that's what they do it's not what I do. You're not going to come to, you'll never come to my page. And cause you know, I, I used to be stupid too. I used to, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago where maybe I get wrapped up, but no, I, you're not going to come to my YouTube page and see me headline a video about other YouTubers. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's happening. You're not going to come to my YouTube channel. Cause yeah, listen, I slipped into that five, whatever years ago, maybe 10 years ago, whatever, but that's not what I want my channel to be. And um, I will let lesser people do that. If you want to make your YouTube channel about things where you talk about other YouTubers, God bless you go do your thing. Are you right? Would they have done that? Yeah, they probably would have. I'm not because that's not what I do. I'm not here to talk about other YouTubers. I'm not here for cheap drama clicks. I'm here to talk about things we love. Um, and by the way, I will say this too. I'm not going to be disingenuous and pretend that I have any respect for geeks and gamers. I'm not going to be disingenuous. I have, I have criticisms I could make about them. Do I think they are a hate group? Now, again, I didn't watch the video. I just saw the headlines that people sent to me. Do I think they constitute a hate group? No, I think that's an exaggeration. I, I and again, I, I don't know. I didn't see the thing. I don't care. But I will just say, and I'm not trying to defend anybody, I'm simply saying I think it is a an exaggeration and um, going a little bit too far to label a, a website that talks about pop culture um, as a hate group. I think that's too extreme. I, I don't agree with that. So whatever. That's the last I'm going to talk about. You asked the question, so I answered it, but you're not going to see me make any headlines and, and make a, a video titled about this. And I just think it's a little bit unfair to take it that far and call them something like that. So that's just my take. We now did he on. actually use that term hate group or is this someone just... I didn't I didn't watch it. I just saw I just had a whole bunch of people over the last 24 hours, like tweeting me and sending and emailing me saying, oh, all these headlines with all this kind of uh, Zack Snyder disavows this hate group. This is, I'm like, I don't care. I didn't care enough to click on it. I, so I don't know. I don't know. I didn't watch it myself. 
I just think. Um, yeah, I think that I've we just. I, I, I just. Yeah, and, and I think that we have to be careful. Not you, John, and not. I'm just saying, like in general, about putting words into other people's mouths because very quickly it could be like, I heard on the John Campier show that you know so and so said this. You know, we. I, I don't personally know, and some of the people in the chat are saying, did, like he didn't actually use that phrase. So it's one thing to disavow certain people. It's another thing to actually call them a hate group, and um, I don't know whether or not he actually did that. So. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, moving on, though, I think we all want to do that. NJA, or Ninja, said, Another poor iteration of Darkseid. Why do they keep making him sound like a dumb brute with the voice of a person in the witness protection program instead of a more sophisticated yet tyrannical version like Michael Ironside's Darkseid? Sigh. Um, I'll agree that with that, too. First of all, I think the inclusion of Darkseid in the movie, even though I think it's like, one minute and 38 seconds of total screen time he has. But just his inclusion in the movie, I said this during our spoiler discussion, adds an entire different layer of depth to the story. And I won't go into exactly how because you have to have seen the movie, but if you watch Snyder Cut already, you know what I'm talking about. Just having him there, I thought added a totally new dimension to the film and a total new layer of depth to it from a narrative point of view. Was I completely crazy about the design of Darkseid or how they chose to make his voice sound? Not really. I wasn't crazy about that part, but it didn't really matter to me because just having him there as a presence in the film, I think did a lot for the narrative of the film. So for me, it works on that level. All right, what's next? Adam Thomas asks, John, have you ever watched Secondhand Lions? It is my favorite movie of all time. It stars Haley Osmond, Michael Caine, and Robert Duvall. This movie always brings me back to my childhood. I'd love to know your thoughts and what movie takes you back. Can you hear me favor? Look, yeah. I believe it was, I believe the release date was 1999. Of but what? can you double check of Secondhand Lions? Secondhand I'm going to take a guess. I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not Scott Mance. I don't have movie dates off. 2003. Okay. So, so it was a different one. Okay. I was, it, the reason I was asking, because I remember I saw it specifically so I could see one of the new star Wars trailers. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and I believe That's it was, thing. Se- mm-hmm. I believe it was second hand lines. I, it might've been the second or the third Star Wars. I can't remember, but I believe if I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly and I may not be, I specifically, and by the way, yes, I really do like second hand lines, but I believe the whole reason I went to go see initially was because, you know, there wasn't, um, there wasn't, um, uh, YouTube at the time. Mm -hmm. YouTube didn't exist. And so if you wanted, and we talk about this in movie trailers, a love story, my documentary, if you wanted to see a trailer, you had to go to the movies (laughs) to see the trailer. And I believe that was one of the times that I specifically went just so I could watch a trailer for a Star Wars movie. And yes, the movie was great, but I think that's the, that was my main motivation at the time to go see it. All right, what's next? Factual Opinion says, here's my three small nitpicks for this incredible movie. Number one, the runtime. Number two, Zack Snyder having Atlanteans create air bubbles to talk. And three, Steppenwolf not being as strong as Superman. Oh, and did I mention the air bubbles? Why, Zack, why? Yeah, I listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I... I actually thought this idea of them creating these air pockets uh, under the water to have these conversations was actually kind of interesting. But remember, it's not all Atlanteans. Not all Atlanteans do that. Most Atlanteans can't even breathe air. Remember that. That Atlanteans can't breathe air. 
But whenever Arthur, Arthur is involved and they need to have a plot device in there for us as the audience to clearly understand what's being said and all that kind of stuff, Arthur, who is a surface dweller, they create these air bubbles that they can have these conversations in. It's a benefit to that one character and it's a benefit to us as the audience. So I actually don't mind that. I thought it was a creative fix to an interesting little narrative problem and how it projects to the audience. So I actually thought it kind of worked. So yeah, that was me. All right. What's next? Man of Tomorrow asks, kudos for giving Superman and Lois a fair shot. Always thought, what is this last name? Tyler, Tyler uh, Holchlin. Okay. I always thought that Tyler Holchlin would be uh, would be great in the role if he got the right story and writers. I can't wait to see his team up with John Stewart Diggle in the upcoming episodes. This This goes back to something. People always, like, I remember when I was watching Arrow, and I used to love Arrow, and then they did the whole Captain Buckles thing with Laura and all that kind of stuff. Oh, Lauren, I mean. Uh, Laurel. <laughs> Laurel Lance. And I was really brutal on, but it was always about the writers and how they wrote the character. And then a lot of people go, how dare you disrespect the name of the actress playing Laurel. I can't remember the name of the actress playing Laurel. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not criticizing the actress. She's not writing this. She's not making up the terrible lines coming out of her mouth. She's not one writing what, what she's not the one designing her stupid Captain Buckles outfit. She's not the one who wrote the story of, uh, I'm just a girl who's taken law, but I've taken like three or four weeks of evening boxing classes at the, literally a couple of weeks of evening boxing classes at the lo local gym. I think I'm going to go out in the streets as a cos costume superhero. The most idiotic things I've ever seen. Anyway, but that was never about the actress. That was never, and I constantly try to say, listen, I think she's doing the best that she can with the material. And I'm not blaming her, but it kept up this thing. And I got dragged in these conversations. Well, did you see that this guy, John Campbell, is talking all this shit about you? I'm like, it's not criticism about her. I just don't like the way the character's being written. And that's the thing too. Whenever I hated on this jobber Superman, I always say, listen, it's not this Tyler dude's fault. I mean, he may very well be a great Superman. I just don't like the way they're treating the character, but he's the actor. He's not the one coming up with this stuff. It's just his job to act it out the best that he can. But it still surprised me how many audience members don't grasp that, that the actors aren't the one who make up their lines. You may have seen a little documentary here and there or maybe an actor on set ad-lib some stuff. That's not normal. That happens, but it's not normal. The writers write the lines and the mm -hmm. actor's job is to bring that to life the best they can but I don't care how good of it, I don't care if you're Daniel Day-Lewis. You get handed crap material, there's only so much you can elevate it. There's only so much you can do. So I've never blamed him. I've never blamed him. Anyway. All right. Let's do one more. Okay. <laughs> last one of the day. We're running out of time. So this is the last one. Saint Campion says, Hi, John. I don't know if anybody mentioned this, but Mara doing water bloodbending on Steppenwolf is exactly what I want from DC. I was so happy that I screamed. I will tell you what. I will tell you what. Uh, Amber Heard is a is a object of a lot of controversy around, but put all that crap aside. I don't care what you think about Amber Heard. I love this Mara character and I really like Amber Heard as the character. And this is a minor spoiler for the justice league, but in that scene, that's in the theatrical version of this, when Steppenwolf shows up in, in Atlantis to take the mother box, that was being held there and he gets into a bit of a tussle with, uh, with Mara Mara does this badass thing. And yes, 
bloodbending. If you watch Avatar The Last Airbender, you'll know what that is. Blood, she engages in bloodbending. And I'm watching this. It's like, dude, she is messing Steppenwolf up. It was a great scene. It was a great scene. And I would like to see a little bit more of that, please. But anyway, uh, that's just kind of my take on it. All right, guys, listen, there are still others uh, that we need to get to. Everything from Popcorn Coke in a movie, uh, Major Tom, Big Dog, and others. Do not worry, guys. I'm going to do a companion video this weekend, and we will get all... We're almost get we almost got all caught up here. I will do a companion video this weekend, and we will get all caught up on all the questions and comments that you guys have sent in. But for now, guys, that will do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. We are very cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of things you could be doing, but you chose to spend some time here with us today, and we're very, very grateful for it. A special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much. For that support. And of course, a big special thank you to our own Aaron Cummings for being here today. Aaron, you did great today. Thank you so much thank for being you. here. Thank you. This was fun. And I really enjoyed it. where can people follow you and uh, little Joey Bishop online? Well, if you are on Clubhouse, that is pretty much where I am spending a lot of my time. I am in that rabbit hole. And today I will actually be uh, on Clubhouse at, th at 5 3 p.m. Pacific time talking about great food to feed your dog um, and as well as many other conversations that I jump in and jump out of. But you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron L. Cummings. I would bring Joey Bishop into the camera, but she is sleeping and she is so cute. So I don't want to wake her up. Um, so, yes, check me out uh, here on the John Campia Show for the next six Fridays. And have a great weekend, everyone. And, of course, guys, don't forget, also at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today, if you have watched Falcon and Winter Soldier, we will be doing our Falcon and Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion at 3 p.m. Make sure you go and watch the episode. It's not four hours long. It's 47 minutes long. Go and check that out, and then we will see you guys back here for that. All right, guys, may you have a fabulous weekend filled with triumph and victory lined up for your guys' selves. May you find it fun and relaxing in whatever it is you need. That'll do it for me, guys. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.